Hello, you double-digit devourer of the daft, the dreadful and the disappointing, and welcome to this very special edition of Bad Things as we celebrate our 10th episode, Spectacular. My name is Jacob Simmons, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to this very special show. And it is indeed my pleasure to introduce my partner in podcasting, and let's face it, in life as well. He is the ultimate bad boy in more ways than one. It's your 10th helping of Nathan Packham. Nathan, a monumental but generic salutation to you. Double figures salutations to you as well, Jacob. I've never, ever been described as a bad boy, so I will take it. Um, my my introductions are always so much nicer than yours. Where last week you called what is it you called me a cockrock anorak? I did call you a cockrock anorak, and I apologize. Yeah, you're always you're always quite gushing, and I'm just very cynical. Um, you compared me to Prince Andrew one week. Oh, jeez, well. yeah. I'm also going to be comparing <laughs> you to a character in this who doesn't come across very well. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Well, that's going to be fun. Um, how are things with you? How's life in the big smoke? Um, I, I just don't have much to report, really. Um, mm. I'm being more careful than I was a couple of months ago now uh, because of that old... You were the one that, that proclaimed 90% normality. Yeah, we're back to about uh, 60 Just a few now. months ago. Yeah. Oh, no. Wearing a mask to the pub again. Have to be out by 10 o'clock, which I don't think was ever a problem for you. Thank, thanks for it. Well, I am the bad boy, so I was there. I was, the I was doing all the staying. lock-ins, you know. I was, I was everywhere. <laughs> Nathan, the super spreader Packham. I could be. I mean, I was at yours last weekend, so. You were, yeah. We saw each other. It was good to see you. You looked well. Thank you. Uh, and now we're here. Thank I've you. Been, I've been through several levels of trauma this year, but uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm still looking okay. Well, we're here now for the 10th episode again. Uh, I don't know how this has happened. I don't know how this has been allowed to happen, that we've reached 10. Um, how have we kept this up? Also... <laughs> we've really religiously know. done one a month somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I think we've only ever been late on one episode, and that was only by a week. Yeah, this, this so, is impressive stuff. Yeah, I think this is uh, this is probably the longest that any of my non-university podcast projects have ever lasted. <laughs> Which is ridiculous, and I also think we're coming up to the the year anniversary of when we recorded episode one because it didn't come out till January 2020, but we recorded it in October 2019. I think it was November, so, wasn't it? Do you think? Yeah, because so? I think it was a couple of days oh, before no. I started my new job. I think it was a. I'm going to oh, say no. the 14th of November, something like that. I'll have to take maybe that cake the 12th. Back. Oh no! I'll have to tell the stripper not to come. <laughs> She's going to knock on my door in North London. <laughs> Yeah, to give me a sec, I need to make a phone call to uh, to Pauline. I did. I did have an Uber Eats delivered yesterday that was for none of us in the house, but was <laughs> was addressed to to our, our our address. So I have no idea what. Did happened you take there. it? No, I didn't. I looked. I looked. And oh. I, well, I, I I shouted in the hallway. I think everyone was still asleep, basically, and uh, no one. What time did this come? No, no one responded. And um, <laughs> what? <laughs> Was this like a midnight Uber Eats? Or no, something? it was it was ten or eleven a.m. But like we're we're what? late sleepers here at the weekend because um, obviously you know <laughs> we go hard and um, <laughs> the bad boy that was with some severe irony and uh, yeah I just gave it back to the guy I was like sorry you're gonna have to ring whoever this is because they don't live here anymore. Wow, we had uh, in one of my student houses we had a, a meal turn up from I think it was Deliveroo or the such. Um, it was a Chinese and my friend accepted the meal and ate some of it. Uh, and then the delivery driver came back for it because he realised he'd made a mistake. 
I bet that ended well. It was so bad. It was it was the most awkward moment of my entire life. Do you remember on so um, Do you remember Friday night, Saturday morning, where we nearly ordered some Marmite from Londis on Uber Eats? <laughs> yeah, we found out that Londis was on Uber Eats, and um, you could order a pack of Marmite for six pounds. <laughs> the most expensive item on the menu. <laughs> Uh, it wouldn't be bad things without a full a full on tangent to start. Right, bloody off. get going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just there's so much to discuss. Um, it, you know, if they haven't got the gist ten episodes in that we don't do this very well, then that's on that's on them, not us. Right. So Nathan, we are here on the tenth episode spectacular, which I think is going to be much the same as any episode. So I don't know why I'm calling it the spectacular, but there we go. Uh, what have the bad things universe chosen to put us through? This month. Well, Movie 43 lost again, which I was <laughs> devastated by. Um, but I, I, normally it's our first or second option, isn't it, that wins? But I think this was our fourth option. Um, it was pretty low down. Thank yeah. you to uh, <laughs> thank you to the, uh, the Bad Things audience for uh, taking the time to read all four and making an informed decision. So for episode 10 here on Bad Things, we're going to be doing Father of the Pride, a DreamWorks adult CGI Uh, animated series about a pride of lions in Las Vegas. What a great find, Jacob. (laughs) I was so happy when I found this. I was so happy when it won. Yes, we're keeping with TV uh, off of the back of Heil Honey, I'm Home, which was our last TV and film-themed review. We're heading to Las Vegas. We're heading back to 2003. This is the animated NBC show produced by DreamWorks. This is Father of the Pride. So let's kick off with the prehistory, the best bit of any Bad Things podcast, apart from the Marmite chat, obviously. Now, Nathan, how much do you know about the guy behind this show? Well, we're t- well we did Jeff Atkinson, but I think this guy, uh, this guy takes <laughs> mm. the biscuit, doesn't he, in terms yeah. of being a bigwig? This is an actual legend in the world of animation, also called Jeff. Yes. Uh, Jeff Jeffrey Katzenberg, um, which is a name that I think if you are, you know, if you're interested in the sort of behind the scenes of film, especially in the last 20 years, Jeffrey Katzenberg is not a name that will be unfamiliar to you. Uh, how much do you know about Mr. Katzenberg, Nathan? Well, he was the chairman of Disney Studios for a decade um, mm. during some of their most uh, successful times, if I may say that as someone who doesn't know a lot about film. Yeah, no, you can say that. That's that's true. So this, he oversaw like The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin and uh, <laughs> The Lion King. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what this guy's favourite animal is. <laughs> um, and after departing Disney, he then became co-founder and CEO of DreamWorks, which is where we find ourselves now. Mm. Do you know the other co-founders of DreamWorks? I don't. Will I know the names? Yes, you will. Uh, Steven Spielberg. Okay, yep. <laughs> I remember one that one. And uh, and uh, David Geffen, the music mogul. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Which I thought would be a name familiar to you. Yeah, they formed DreamWorks. Yeah. Um, Katzenberg is essentially one of the men credited with turning Disney around in the mid-80s because they were going through a real slump off the back of their sort of golden age success. It's sort of known as the Disney Renaissance, that period. And yeah, just some absolute classics came out when he was in charge. And then he, yeah, left to form DreamWorks and oversaw the production of franchises such as Kung Fu Panda, Madagascar, How to Train Your Dragon and Shrek. Uh, we were discussing Shrek recently, Nathan, because we, we, you love Shrek too. <laughs> 
I don't know what. I have these like arbitrary loves of various <laughs> things, and Shrek Two is one of them. Mm. Um, I think it's better than Shrek One. Don't uh, know if that's a controversial opinion. I would have to agree. I think overall, yeah, it's better than than Shrek Two. The Fairy Godmother is fantastic. Jennifer Saunders knocks out of the park with that one, and uh, Rupert Everett as Prince Charming. Rupert Everett plays the villain. Who saw and that will, one coming? He will always have the medieval meal. <laughs> Don't forget that. My diet is ruined. I hope you're happy. So our story begins in 2001 with the success of the first Shrek movie. Did you go to the cinema to see this, Nathan? Because you would have been about the right age. I didn't, but I oh, do okay. remember where I saw it. Okay. I was at my this uncle's like an house. No, it's not an anecdote. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just remember being at my uncle. Like, my uncle's like has always lived in like just lovely like country houses, mm. um, and I yeah remember Saturday night pro- probably watching the Premiership on ITV <laughs> first, and then settling in for a bit of Shrek. <laughs> this was uh, I think I watched this at my auntie's house. She had it on VHS. Um, What's with this nephew thing going on? <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously just what you show the nephews. Um, yeah, because I remember that we had Shrek 2 on DVD, but my auntie had Shrek 1 on VHS, so we could never watch them both at the same time. We had to go to one house to watch Shrek 1 and then to my house to watch Shrek 2. Um, speaking of the Shrek 2 DVD, do you remember Far, Far Away Idol? I do. I loved Far, Far Away Far, Idol. Far away, so I... good. <laughs> and that is a, a very sneaky nod to something that we, are, we might be doing again in the future on Bad Things. Yeah, but you could only like win as like two participants, couldn't you? Mm. I'm trying to remember what the extra was. A weird so, extra. What what it was for those who don't know is far far away. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, was... we should explain. Was <laughs> a DVD back in the days of DVDs. Uh, this was a game you could play. It was uh, it was the characters from Shrek singing songs, and it was in the style of Pop Idol, uh, and it was judged by actual real Simon Cowell, like actual animated Simon Cowell. And then you got to choose who won at the end after seeing all the performances. And I think you could win with, like, Shrek and Fiona did a duet. Donkey did one. Uh, I think you could win with Prince Charming. But if you chose any of the other sort of... Because there was the wolf, the three little pigs, Pinocchio. If you chose any of them, Simon Cowell opened the envelope and just said, Nope, not having this. The winner is me! And the next Far, Far Away Idol is... No, you've got to be joking. Nope, it's me, everyone. For what is a man? What has he got? The era of DVD extras. That was a that was a good time. I love DVD extras. I could talk about them all day, but sadly, we're not here to talk about DVD extras. We're here to talk about Father of the Bride. Um, so our story begins in two thousand and one with the success of the first Shrek movie. Katzenberg served as a producer on that movie, and he was approached by the head of NBC Entertainment, another man called Jeff, Jeff Zucker, about turning the movie into a TV show. Katzenberg declined the offer, not wanting to diminish the value of future Shrek sequels. Thank God he did. Uh, And however, he was open to the idea of an animated TV show. And he was struck by the inspiration for this show when he was in Las Vegas, partaking in a particular pastime of his, watching the Siegfried and Roy stage show. Nathan, (laughs) how much do you know about Siegfried and Roy? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) It's the exact sort of just entertainment that I cannot stand. <laughs> you at least know who they are, though. Yeah, well, well, thank, yeah thanks to this, uh, thanks to this show. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to 
What, what, do you want to give your sort of uh, summary of Siegfried and Royd in the most Nathan way possible? They are a campy, uh, circus-like Vegas act. I've, I did a little bit more research on them. They mm. seem to be the most, uh, one of the most successful, if not the most successful, uh, Vegas act ever. Mm. And their uh, their whole—it's essentially a magic show with a hell of a lot of animals involved as well. Mm. And they have a, what is essentially a zoo in Vegas. <laughs> called the secret garden where a lot of the action of this show takes place as well mm. um interesting couple of guys they really are uh so siegfried and roy yeah not their real names uh, siegfried's real name is siegfried fischbacher and roy was born i think i'm gonna get this wrong uwe u-w-e uh, yeah, Uwe, yeah. Uwe, sorry. Uwe Ludwig Or is it, it Uwe? I'm trying... Oh, I'm thinking about German footballers now. I knew I knew that's where you'd go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Uwe or Uwe. I'm sorry to our German contingent. Uh, Uwe Ludwig Horn. Uh, they are German-American, so I think, they, uh, I think they're naturalised citizens, um, but both were born in Germany. They first met whilst performing magic on a boat together, uh, a boat they were fired from after they bought a live cheetah on board and didn't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> So that's who we're dealing with here. Uh, and in 1990, they began Siegfried and Roy at the Mirage Resort and Casino, which went on, as Nathan said, to become one of Las Vegas's most popular live shows and was particularly famous for their use of live animals, uh, including very famously white lions and white tigers. Nathan, uh, what are your views on using live animals in stage shows? Do you like things like the circus or things like that? Uh, I don't like the circus anyway. Mm. And then uh, you throw in these uh, these miserable animals and it just gets ten times worse. Um, mm. That's my opinion. Yeah. Can you, uh, <laughs> can you guess my opinion on this? Oh, well, I just, just I'd have no idea, Jacob. <laughs> you don't even want to go on safari. We had this discussion just last week. Just leave the animals alone. Safari's too... Uh, just driving a truck <laughs> down a massive game... Not Sorry, not game reserve. I mean, just reserve... <laughs> Uh, is is too much for you, was a let alone seeing a tiger on stage in a preposterously small cage mm. in a horrible city. Anyway, yeah, not my uh, not my bag. Uh, just leave them alone. Quite frankly, I'm not even sure if I'm okay with zoos. So. Uh, we'll leave that there. Uh, but one person who was okay with this sort of thing was Jeffrey Katzenberg because he, according to him, uh, has seen this show about 15 or 14 times. Uh, and it was during <laughs> one of Is that how these... he said it? 15 or 14 times? <laughs> no, that was me being a bad broadcaster. Uh, 14th <laughs> or 15th time. Uh, and during one of these oh. visits, he started to think about what it would be like if the animals involved in the show had their own lives. And I'm going to read... A quote from an interview that Meg James conducted for the LA Times in 2004, which is where I'm going to get a lot of quotes from. Uh, and Katzenberg had this to say. He said, What would it be like to be one of these animals and to raise a family and live in the jungle palace and go to work every day at a place where the CEOs are these two eccentric guys, Siegfried and Roy? <laughs> but the, the, the animals don't think like that because they're animals. <laughs> Well, we're clearly not blessed with the same creative mind as uh, as Jeffrey Katzenberg. Yeah, they're, they're probably just suffering from severe depression from <laughs> oh a lack God. of freedom. So that would be a very different show. Probably a better one. <laughs> 
Katzenberg took the idea to uh, Jeff Zucker, who absolutely loved the idea. Uh, and with that, production on the show began. So 3D animation in the mid-2000s was absolutely huge with the success of films from studios like Pixar and DreamWorks. However, despite being very successful in the realm of kids... Uh, entertainment, 3D animation never took off for adults. In fact, most animated adult sitcoms never get off the ground. I think I can name uh, the ones I can name that are successful could probably fit on one hand. You know, we've got The Simpsons, Family Guy, Futurama, I guess, but that's, you know, made by the same people that made The Simpsons. Can you think of any other animated I'm, adult? I mean, there's, there's an argument for The Simpsons that on a surface level, it's not an adult show. Is that a... I mean, it, it's adult in the sense that it deals with sort of adult themes. Like, it's definitely not for young kids, but it's still fairly family-friendly, I would say. it's not, There's no swearing or braunchiness or anything in The Simpsons. So Yeah, I remember Bob's Burgers. Oh, Could yeah. That be one? Is, that, is that successful enough? That is quite successful. I, had to- I don't like Bob's Burgers, so I totally forgot that existed. <laughs> Um, so, and I mean, I guess Rick and Morty, but that's quite divisive. Um, and Bojack even, Horseman. Bojack Horseman, yeah, that is very good, to be fair. I love Bojack. Um, yeah, I guess animated sitcoms for adults are starting to... T- I guess those are all fairly recent, though, uh, shows like that. But in the mid-2000s, you have The Simpsons, and I guess Family Guy just... No, Family Guy started in the late 90s, didn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think it's 99, yeah. I think, Family Guy. I think you might be right. So those were the two heavy hitters. Future Armour was 99 as well. So uh, those were the three at the time. Uh, I have a list here, Nathan, of some animated adult sitcoms uh, that I'm going to go through. And uh, I want you to guess how long they lasted on TV. Oh, yes. Okay. So I thought it was just going to be a list so that you could ridicule me for how little <laughs> visual media I've watched. I have not seen any of these. I just found them on Wikipedia. So uh, I'm going to start with something called The PJs, uh, which was a stop-motion comedy about life on an urban housing project created by Eddie Murphy, who will be coming up again on this show. Uh, Nathan, how long do you think this lasted? Uh, one series, 12 episodes, I'm going to say. Yeah, it was over in two years, this, this okay. one. Uh, a show called Stressed Eric, uh, which was uh, a British comedy about a man called Eric who is stressed. Seriously, <laughs> that's what it's about. Uh <laughs> How many seasons do you think this ran for? Uh, I think the, only the pilot got out, <laughs> considering the premise. It, uh, it ran for two seasons in the UK oh. and one in the US. Uh, oh. So, fair amount of success. Uh, family Dog, a show, oh, God. A, a show about a suburban family told through the eyes of their dog. Uh, created by Brad Bird and produced by Tim Burton and Steven Spielberg. So some big names behind this project. Uh, how, so this this premiered in on June 23rd, 1998. When do you think it went off the air? The same day? <laughs> July 28th, 1998. Right. And a final show called God, the Devil and Bob. Uh, how many episodes do you think this got out? Well, well you've got to explain that. Come on. <laughs> It's essentially um, God and the devil, I think they have a bet uh, about, like, you know, can humanity, is humanity actually good? Uh, And they choose this man, Bob, as, like, their beacon. So God then comes down to earth and has to convince Bob to do good things while the devil tries to convince him to do bad things to win the bet or something like that. I haven't got it written down. That's not a terrible premise. Maybe maybe a series. It got cancelled after four episodes. 
Uh, it ran from March 3rd to March 28th in 2000. God, they're all around the same time, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, animated adult shows. They're hard, but NBC were very keen to make this work. Um, they spent a lot of money on this show. Do you have a figure, Nathan, for how much this show cost? So I have an episode by episode cost that yeah. was estimated to be between two million to two point five million dollars. Yeah, every episode. It's ridiculous to produce and. What what is the final figure if you count the pilots that didn't happen? Is it fourteen? There's fifteen half an hour 15. episodes. Um, according to that LA Times article, they, uh, the budget for each episode was one point six million. But Bernard Weinraub of the New York Times he gave that figure of two to two point five million. So let's take a middle ground. Let's say each episode cost two million. That's thirty yeah. million dollars on this fifteen episode <laughs> series. <laughs> Oh, the pre-recession years, eh? <laughs> like 30 minutes. You could make a decent film for that money. Yeah, that's... Mm. Yeah, what What kind of... What, what budget would... 30 million, what would that get you film-wise? Well, is that still considered a low-budget film? Yeah, well, the one I always go to is Whiplash. You know, the, the film about yes. uh, the drum teacher. Have you seen it? Mm. Yes, I have, is it, yeah. Is it good? Because I've never seen it. it. It's extraordinary. You know how the budget on that was 3.3 million. Right, you could okay, make yeah. ten. That's because they just needed ten drum kits <laughs> and J.K. Simmons. You could make ten whiplashes on the budget of this show. Wow, <laughs> um, and whiplash is probably about ten times better. Yeah. So, but nevertheless, they ploughed on, uh, ploughing money into this thing. Uh, they spent a lot of time, effort, and money promoting the show as well. Uh, according to a YouTube channel called Saber Spark, who did an amazing. Oh, video. I watched this as well. So good. That guy's great. Um, if you were watching NBC in 2004, you knew that Father of the Pride was coming. Uh, they promoted it heavily during their cover of the Olympics that year in 2004. Uh, where were 2004 Olympics? Was it Greece? Yes, it was Athens, Athens. the one where everyone took drugs. <laughs> that, was, <clears throat> that was the tagline for NBC's coverage. The tagline was, everyone's going to take drugs and Kelly Holmes. That was the tagline. <laughs> well, we have to talk about something quite gruesome now because there's one thing the network didn't account for something that nobody could have accounted for and something that threw all of the show's marketing completely out the window because on the 3rd of october 2003 mere months before this show was set to debut roy horn was attacked by one of his own tigers night after night for more than a decade siegfried and roy dazzled the vegas strip with their feats of magic and animal mastery performing seemingly impossible illusions alongside a menagerie of wild animals over more than 5,000 shows the las vegas legends performed flawlessly and so did their prowling growling co-stars that is, until Roy Horn's 59th birthday in 2003, when in the middle of a performance at the MGM Grand, a 400-pound Siberian tiger named Manticore pounced on the magician, biting his neck and ending the iconic duo's career. The sound was just, I remember just being so loud. Pow, pow, pow. Yes. Uh, I, I have it down as a lion. Was it a tiger? It was a tiger, I mean, it, yeah. It, oh, was it a tiger? Mm. Well, it's just, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he was attacked by a, yeah. uh, a large feline. What he was attacked by 
It is really not the point. He was attacked. Yeah, yeah um, sorry, I'm, I'm being pedantic here. <laughs> um, he was, yeah, he was attacked by a seven-year-old. Uh, Montecore, yeah. am I saying that correct? Montecore? I'm not sure. Mon- Montecore? Let's go Montecore. Yeah. That sounds a bit more jazzy. Yeah, it was and on suffered, his... Suffered life-changing injuries. Um, and uh, actually, Horn actually died, I think, just a month or two ago. Yeah. Am I... Am I correct? Yeah, he, um, but... he passed away earlier this year from uh, from complications due to COVID nineteen. Oh, really? I didn't realise that. Yeah, which is a real, uh, which is real sad. Um, but yeah, this attack—it's it, it, just if you are of, of uh, a squeamish disposition or susceptible to gory detail, then skip ahead a few minutes because um, I'm going to go into some detail of the attack. Uh, it was on his 59th birthday. This attack took place. Uh, Montecore bit Horn on the neck, which severed his spine, and then he dragged him off stage as he was losing huge amounts of blood. Uh, as well as this, at some point, either during or after the attack, Roy Horn also had a stroke. So it was a pretty horrific thing to have happened. Um, and yeah, it got huge national press. Uh, and many said that Roy would not survive the injuries. Thankfully, he did. But as you said, was left with permanent mobility and speech damage. And this was it for him. He was forced to retire. Uh, the show was cancelled after this horrific attack. Um, but did you get the quote that Roy had as he was being taken to hospital? I didn't get the direct quote, but I um, I was aware that he requested nothing else happen to the to the tiger. Mm. Yeah. Um, he... he I don't know how you're even thinking about that when your spine's been severed, yeah. but um, quite quite incredible that he uh, when when he was on the way to the hospital he requested that the tiger uh, not be not I guess was on was going to be put down or mm. that was the plan. Yeah, um, the quote is Montecore is a great cat. Make sure no harm comes to Montecore, which yeah. is just incredible. Like. <laughs> You know, for for I don't. I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of how safe these animals were and what Peter would have to say, but there's clearly a love there for the animals. If he's saying, you know, don't kill it, like even if this animal has just attacked me and could have potentially ended my life, he was begging them not to put it down, which is just incredible. Like like you said, how does that even go through somebody's head? when they're being wheeled off to hospital. Roy was very much the animal guy. Siegfried did took care of the magic. Roy took care of the animals. So he must have had some hell of a connection with these animals. Not to say that he didn't, you know, we can't say for sure how well he treated them. Like, I haven't done enough research, but, you know, Joe Exotic cared for his animals and uh, he had a special relationship with them um, and they were treated abysmally. But I can't, I'm not making a direct comparison. Uh, should I stop talking before we get sued? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also was on the verge of making the exotic comparison, but uh, you can take the. You can take I've the taken the bullet here. for that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so this was, as you can imagine, a huge blow to Father of the Pride, because um, Siegfried and Roy are characters in this show, so it was, you know, not great um, that, that, that this had happened, and there were calls from several top execs to pull the plug. Um, And this is a quote from one of the show's co-creators, Jonathan Groff, who said, We honestly didn't know what to do. We were really shaken. We didn't know how this thing was going to turn out, but we were in this zone. Let's just keep going. And there's another quote from Katzenberg that says, There was a short period of time where we were all just rocked on our heels and couldn't be particularly creative and certainly not very funny. Uh, But Siegfried kept saying every step of the way that this show meant so much to them, so much to Roy, then even more than it ever did. 
Yeah, Siegfried and Roy loved this show. Yeah, that's something that really came across uh, mm. when I was doing the research that just Siegfried and Roy just, just absolutely wanted this to go ahead <laughs> like, to to uh, to a crazy level. They uh, they Madness. wanted this to happen. Yeah, Siegfried and Roy sound like absolutely mental people. Um, they, we're going to get into their portrayals in the show, and even though I think that's slightly exaggerated, I don't think it's far off who they actually were in real life. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that was the case there. Um, Katzenberg said that the show would be pulled if Horn did not survive, uh, but thankfully he did. So things went ahead, much at the uh, request of Siegfried and Roy. And then something completely mental happened. Um, how much do you know about this documentary? Oh, I've not heard about this. OK, you're in for a, you're in for a treat here. So Jeff Zucker... That name, that name again, commissioned a show called Siegfried and Roy, The Miracle, which was a special documentary focusing on Roy's recovery. So this was out to go out on NBC, and there was talk of the uh, NBC bigwigs premiering Father of the Pride on the same night as this documentary. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Uh, The NBC bigwigs thought this was a good idea, but as you can imagine, advertisers were less keen for this to happen. I've got a quote here from uh, Shari Ann Brill, who is the programming director of an ad buying firm called Carrot USA. That's carrot as in gold carrot, not, you know, the delicious food. Um, And this is one of the funniest things I've ever read. So this is her reaction to the meeting where it was discussed that they would premiere Father of the Pride after this documentary. It really gave people the creeps, you know. The public's memory is very fleeting, but then they put that guy up there and they remind you he was almost murdered by the cartoon characters this show was based on. (laughs) I would not want to be in a meeting with her. (laughs) As you can imagine, the idea was scrapped. Yes. Yeah, the documentary went ahead. The show was not premiered on the same night. So, so the documentary the happened first, at least. Yeah, the okay, documentary good. went first. There's, there's some moralistic outlook <laughs> happening. Oh, no, I don't think it was morals. I think it was because the advertisers all pulled out. I don't think it right. was anything oh, okay. to do with morals. Of course. So despite the fact that one of the characters in the show was almost killed less than a year earlier, the show premiered on the 31st of August 2004 on NBC. Um, now, do you have any idea what's going on with these episodes, Nathan? Because I am totally lost. I, I was basically waiting for this record to ask you what <laughs> the hell is going on. The internet says something. YouTube says something else. The DVD <laughs> says something else. There's a revised pilot of a pilot that's different from the revised pilot. And then the episodes, they're not, but they don't need to be sequential because the storylines are all over the fucking shop. But <laughs> did you find a definitive list of what happened? No. I have absolutely no idea. Um, so did you watch... The, where did you watch this? On the DVD? I did watch... I had a whole drama of getting the DVD to work. <laughs> well, no, it worked. But I tried to watch it on my monitor. It was too quiet. I, tr- right. I watched it on, tried to watch it on my old laptop and the disc slot didn't work initially. And <laughs> oh, then eventually God. I got going about an hour later than I'd wanted to. <laughs> but I have seen all of your requested episodes. <laughs> Jeez, did you take you took up a whole day doing this, didn't you? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, and it was yesterday. Not, I hate leaving it that close to the bone, so I was feeling very stressed. <laughs> I was. I watched the final episode last night, so I am also in the same boat as having no idea what's going on. Um, but yeah, the list on Wikipedia is all over the place. Uh, apparently, 
there's an unaired pilot as the first episode, but then it says the first episode aired in December of 2004, <laughs> not August. Uh, the episode that apparently aired on August 31st is actually episode four, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> and then the order of episodes on Wikipedia is different to that on the DVD. It's and like apparently... CGI folklore or something. <laughs> yeah, and, and nobody cares enough about this show to have actually recorded a de- definitive list of when all the episodes came out. So then that makes it really hard to track how much the how many ratings the show was getting. And and apparently YouTube is also totally different, which I didn't realise. What the hell is going yeah, on? The first episode on YouTube is just not the first episode on the DVD, oh, right. and maybe not on Wiki as well. Yeah. And then there's obviously someone's illegally uploaded them, and there's quite a few missing. So we had to buy a DVD to watch this, <laughs> which has already got in my box to be sold off. <laughs> We're going to go with the order on the DVD. I think is what I've decided. Um, because again, yeah, there was a there's a pilot episode, but that's not a properly animated. It just exists in storyboard form. Oh, I didn't which, know that. Yeah, there's an episode which is just storyboards. So the first episode on the DVD. Think think about this. Like, <laughs> you're a consumer and you want to watch a new animated series. The first episode is a storyboard. <laughs> I don't understand. Like, there are some people who eat this shit up, but I. I've never put myself through that. I've never been that desperate to see something that I will watch the rough sketch of it yeah. with badly recorded audio over the top. Like... That's that's the DVD extra everyone skips. <laughs> that and the commentary, because who watches the fucking commentary? Yeah. So we picked a selection of it. Ep- well, I picked a selection of episodes that I thought sounded the most mental um, to put ourselves through. We got we watched five in the end, or at least we, I hope. Did we watch five? Yes, I, okay, I think God. I watched five, although time <laughs> became an irrelevance in this universe. Unless you have anything to add. Shall we dive straight into the first episode that aired on American TV? Let's do it. If it is the first episode, <laughs> might not Who be. Who fucking knows? This is Sarmoti Moves In. Come on, get him! Take his legs out! Give him a thousand! I want to see Bone! No, no, don't let him get out the open field! Oh, out of nowhere! We introduce ourselves to Larry the Lion and Snack the Gopher. Nathan, who is Larry the Lion voiced by? Larry the Lion is voiced by John Goodman, who Mm. is a Coen Brothers mainstay mostly. But uh, I also I've tried to work out where I'd heard the voice before. It is a voice from my childhood because he's Sully in Monsters, Inc. Damn right he is. Yeah, John Goodman is a total legend. Uh, he's also he's been in like anything and everything under the sun. Um, and yeah, he was Sully in uh, Monsters Inc. Orlando Jones is the voice of Snack the Gopher. Uh, had you heard of him? I hadn't. No, I, all no. I've got down for him is that he was in Mad TV, which is popular in the states. Yeah, and American yeah. Gods. I, I don't know much else about Orlando Jones. <laughs> Yeah, he uh, he was a member. Uh, Mad TV is like a sketch show, sort of Saturday Night Live light, basically. Uh, that was very popular in the late nineties, I think, because there was a Mad magazine as well that was very popular. Uh, and yeah, he was in uh, the adaptation of Neil Gaiman's American Gods. So they're watching football, quote unquote, uh, but it's actually a documentary footage showing a lion chasing a gazelle and eating it, <laughs> which I actually thought was quite funny. Uh, yeah, it's a decent yeah. way to start. Not a bad way to start. Um, should we talk about how this show looks, Nathan? Oh, <laughs> is that your full review? It's uh, my thoughts are that it looks really grey. 
is my first thought. <laughs> it doesn't Every- help that the, the lions are white lions, so yeah, yeah they are grey. Everything is like shaded down, and I have yeah. no idea how they spent $2 million on this, <laughs> because I could have given it a go at points. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the quality was like in 2004, but Toy Story This Ain't. Um, it looks like a video game cutscene. It does look like a video game cutscene. It's got the jerky quality as well. <laughs> yeah, it's so jerky. The mouth movement doesn't match up with the voices. It well, There's a bit... Well, because the next gag is that Snack gets thrown up in the air and he lands in a load of dip. And you can just see like the character, the character model change from... Snack with no dip to snack with all the dip. You could make this on Animal Crossing, couldn't you? <laughs> so that that happens. It's not very funny. Um, Larry cleans the dip off Snack by putting him in his mouth. It wasn't very funny and it also looked like shit. Uh, we learned that Larry's father-in-law, Sarmoti, is moving in with them. And because this is a sitcom, the father-in-law and the main character of the show do not get along. Because uh, Sarmoti used to be the old star of the Siegfried and Royd show, uh, but Larry took over. And we learn in the pilot that um, he had to retire after making a mistake during one of the performances. Uh, and I assume this pilot was conceived before the attack on Roy Horn, fingers crossed. Yes. Otherwise, that would be a bit close, a bit close to home. Uh, Larry complains about Sarmoti moving in. He says that Sarmoti refuses to wear a towel after showering. None of the animals wear any clothes. Yeah, so what is the issue? <laughs> the whole Donald Duck conundrum, isn't it, where he gets out of the shower and he puts a towel on, but he doesn't wear trousers. It's there's a lot. I, I'm going to be nitpicking a lot throughout this, but you love a plot hole. I love a nitpick. I fucking love a nitpick. I'll leave the gaping chasms to you, but give me the little threads to pull away. I've always thought there. in macrocosm, really. <laughs> and then we meet Siegfried and Roy, and oh my god, their accents. <laughs> Today we move the great Samoti in with his loved ones. Hit it! Horrendously stereotypical European accents. Can we talk about the theme song? Please. <laughs> Jacob, he's back. MJ is back on the Bad Things podcast. <laughs> Wait, is this an MJ? Have you not known? Oh my god! What? What? Oh, what? Yes, it's MJ. <laughs> what? What do you yes, mean? It's. Michael Jackson recorded a theme <gasps> song for Siegfried and Roy. No fucking way. Yeah. This, this song is actual... called... Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> this song is called Mind is the Magic. So I watched this episode, and obviously it happens about three minutes in, I think, Siegfried yeah. and Roy appear, and I was like, that's, that's MJ. <laughs> what, what is this? And I'm pretty sure I've never heard this song before. Um... So he recorded a song called Mind is the Magic, which then became their theme in Vegas. Uh, what? And it's, it was recorded around the period of the Dangerous album. And also oh, okay. I noticed, uh, when I said, sorry, I'm going, I shouldn't really go on about a very dodgy man. <laughs> but um, No, no, as long as I, we clarify that he is dodgy, that's fine. <laughs> I, I noticed the, op- the, it's got some really good percussion on it. And I was like, <laughs> where, where have I heard that before? And... It was. It, some of the percussion was actually used. Have you seen This Is It, the film? Uh, I haven't. No. Oh, okay. So there's a bit where there, there's about. Uh, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Sorry, I'm going off on one. <laughs> Carry on. There's uh, there's about eight dancers, and then they duplicate them to to make a whole army. Basically, the army do 
um, do a kind of short dance routine. And the percussion in this song is used um, to do some mi- essentially military style dancing. And this is it. So this links going on all over the place. Um, this is so, yeah, bonkers. That is Mind is the Magic. And that's why I just find this theme hilarious. <laughs> And it happens every time they first appear in an episode. That's the run of the running gags, is they have a CD player and they, they press play whenever they enter the room. <laughs> so the, like, the original song has MJ going, Sick Freedom Roy! <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's sort of a generic song about like magic, and then all of this, <laughs> he just bursts into the chorus. <laughs> and he's just like, Sick Freedom Roy! <laughs> That is insane. This is why you're on this podcast, because that is is ludicrous levels of detail. (laughs) I was listening to it in bed last night. (laughs) I need a moment, I think, to recover from that. Well, I didn't know that. Thank you, Nathan. Um, Jesus. (laughs) Um, Back to the show... Um, how much did you get on the guys that voice Siegfried and Roy? Because sadly, they don't voice themselves. Now, I've got a few things. So, uh, Siegfried, uh, Siegfried, that's Siegfried. a, that's a yeah, Norwegian sure. alternative pop star. Um, Siegfried. <laughs> don't feel like crying, Siegfried and Roy. <laughs> There's a mashup in there somewhere. Um, Julian Holloway plays Siegfried. Um, This is probably the biggest role of his career, minus being the father of models, Sophie Dahl, is is what I've got written down. He's Roald Dahl's son-in-law. Yeah. (laughs) Which is mad. And uh, he, uh, Sophie Dahl is, of course, married to Jamie Cullum as well. Don't know how that happened, but there we go. (laughs) Siegfried! (laughs) (laughs) Jamie and Sophie! (laughs) This is going to go on for the entire record now. (laughs) This is now a gag. <laughs> Eddie Doverlack must be must Jacob and Nathan. <laughs> oh, I wish I wish the amount of um, I've forgotten the word. <laughs> I, I, oh no, I've totally forgotten the word. We're not even an hour in. I'm not even an hour in. Right, oh, just Christ. forget that. Blow I've forgotten on. English. Um, I've lost my notes now. Where are we going? <laughs> Um, da- and then David Herman is Roy yeah. Horn, who was also in Mad TV and is like a-, a stalwart of so many animated comedies as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've got a few more notes. Julian Holloway, who plays Siegfried, is in several Carry On films. Uh, and because everything links back to the Beatles, he's an uncredited role in A Hard Day's Night. <laughs> How old is Julian Holloway? <laughs> old, I think, yeah. is the answer to that. Uh, and yeah, David Herman uh, is in things like he's been in King of the Hill, Bob's Burgers. He's also Scruffy the Janitor in Future Armor, uh, which is a show I love. So I very much enjoyed that. <laughs> I've put here that Siegfried and Roy are mental and Roy's accent is utterly abysmal. I agreed with, you know, what was the, what was the name of the reviewer that you, that both of us watched? Uh, Saber Spark. Saber, I agree with him. They are easily the best part of this show. For yeah. me. Just their antics. They just go and do normal <laughs> things, but they don't know how to act in the real world. Yeah, we'll get onto it because their antics, especially in this episode, I think is their strongest subplot. Um, they make a big show and dance out of introducing Sarmoti and then they leave to go and get brunch. 
Sarmoti, by the way, stands for Siegfried and Roy, Masters of the Impossible. Ah, okay. Which is nice. I thought it was an authentic African name, but clearly not. (laughs) I mean, no. I don't think there's anything authentic about anything in this show because I think, you know, the man who voices Sarmoti is a a New York Jew. So (laughs) there's very little authentic about this. Uh, And that man is Carl Reiner, who is an absolute legend. Uh, Do you know much about Carl Reiner? Uh, Well, another guy who died this year, unfortunately. Um, Do you know how old he was when he died? 98. 90 fucking eight. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Who wants to live forever, eh? Um, <laughs> Do you know who he uh, he broke onto the scene as part of a double act? Do you know who he was a double oh, act God, with? Are you going to sing their name? <laughs> <laughs> I am now. <laughs> Please, I, I don't know who he was a double act with. <laughs> it was a double act with Mel Brooks. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. They have the, they've got monosyllabic names, so they, they don't fit the, the How, cadence of the Mel, tune. So. Has Mel Brooks come up on this? Yes, he has. Of course, he, the producers, right? Producers, yeah. yeah. He's, uh, Carl Ryan is also connected to the show in another way because he also wrote sketch material for Caesar's Hour, uh, which starred Sid Caesar, who was fucking Coach Calhoun in Grease 2. <laughs> yeah. So it's all connected. <laughs> then we get to the opening sequence, uh, and I think I'll play in a bit of the theme music here, Nathan, because John Goodman gets to sing Viva Las Vegas. What a weird theme. It's like, <laughs> it's almost like a punky, is it a punky Viva Las Vegas? I don't really know how to describe it. You're not, you're not a million miles away. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's like a double time thing. Um, the vocal was fine, but it, mm. like, it's totally shits on the song, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think John Goodman does a decent job here. He's not a singer, clearly. <laughs> he does all right. Um, I put in my notes they should have got Wagner to do it. Oh, that would be, if only Wagner wasn't, you know, seven years from being a thing. <laughs> so we come back off the title sequence. We meet Kate, who is Larry's wife and Sarmoti's daughter. She is voiced by Cheryl Hines, who is famous for being the wife of another Larry in Curb Your Enthusiasm. She is uh, Larry David's wife in that. Uh, she's also a semi-professional poker player. And did you get who she was married to? She's she's married to Robert Kennedy Jr. <laughs> JFK's nephew. <laughs> That's so weird. So we've got Sophie Dahl's dad. We've got <laughs> we've got Kennedy's nephew. We've got a linkage between Jamie Cullum and <laughs> JFK. This show is bonkers. <laughs> and um yeah, Cheryl Hines, who, uh, again, is probably too good for this. Uh, we find out that Samoti has brought a horrible zebra rug with him. Uh, this was Samoti's first kill and his quote-unquote last connection to Africa, after which I swear he does a black power salute, uh, oh, which made me really wow. uncomfortable. <laughs> I didn't see that. I must have been writing notes about the, the zebra. Yeah. Have you got, what notes have you got on the zebra? Well, I've just... <laughs> he's very protective over his zebra. So. <laughs> yeah, essentially no- A lot of my notes for this are just one line. <laughs> Is that word shit by any small chance? <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, the zebra looks really stupid. He's got stupid googly eyes. Uh, he puts the rug down on the floor and calls it a beautiful striped bastard. Uh, this show is not for kids, um, as we established. And then uh, we cut to something completely different, because... Uh, <laughs> which is a phrase we're going to hear a lot, because uh, Snack is sunbathing, and then it gets sat on by an elephant. Chutney the elephant. <laughs> Chutney the elephant. Jesus. Um, yeah, Chutney the elephant um, has an Indian accent. He's voiced by an Israeli-English actor who, to be fair, has an Indian mother. So is that okay? Yeah, but he's also voiced by another guy who I couldn't couldn't see any Asian heritage. <laughs> On his IMDb. Oh, well, they tried. Um, yeah, there's a lot of Indian stereotypes going around. Uh, Chutney says he's a pacifist. He also confirms he's a fan of Bend It Like Beckham. <laughs> Just something I'd much rather be watching. Uh, and then he also says, forgive me, Mahatma. Um, which is great. Snack was apparently house-sitting for Chutney. Where I, put, I just put, where had he gone? Where's a fucking <laughs> elephant going? In Las Vegas. I mean, there's just acres in the secret garden, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, let's hope so, otherwise Peter will be round knocking. Uh, Snack apparently threw a party. Um, Chutney demands to be compensated for the damages before kicking Snack through the air. And then something really weird happens. Did you get this bit, Nathan? Is this where Snack bounces across some boobs? <laughs> yes. Yes, he does. Uh, he bounces across the uh, the breasts of some women sunbathing in a pool, and the breasts make xylophone noises. Forgive me, Mahatma. We're about three minutes into the show, by the way. Yeah, how are you? How are you pacing this show? Because oh, we're going to be here. <laughs> oh my god! This the scenes in this show. I think if they go a minute, that's all they go. It's so quick. Yeah. Especially this first episode, it's like, this is happening, and now this is happening. And it doesn't help that there's like three different plots going on as well at the same time. So the, the pacing is just all over the place, uh, and that is evident from, from the go. Um, Snack then collides with a man who is videoing the women. <laughs> <laughs> That's never followed up on. Uh, he steals the video camera and claims that his money problems are now solved. Why? Uh, well, the the why, the why is that he's going to make an expose mm. uh, of the of the secret garden, but that only comes back up once, I think, in the rest yeah. of the episode. <laughs> this, yeah, again, like the pacing is all over the place. They don't juggle the plots very well, and then we introduce another plot. Because we're back with Siegfried and Roy, who are on stage. Siegfried and Roy, Siegfried and Roy who are on stage in a box having swords pushed into it. Uh, Siegfried says, "You know what would feel good," and Roy responds with one kind word from my father in my entire life. Wow! <laughs> and Roy's dad is a running joke throughout this throughout this show. Yeah, it's the basis of an old, a whole very boring episode that we're going to talk about as well. Yeah. Siegfried replies with, no, helping others, and they hatch a plan to help someone. I like these two. Yes. Just so much better than everything else. They, they're very they're very charismatic. They've got a great chemistry with one another. Um, they really capture the sort of vibe that the real Siegfried and Roy would have, the fact that they've sort of worked together for ages. They're basically... 
there's sort of a, a couple, but not in a romantic way. Yeah, there's a lot of good to be had with these. There's a lot of bollocks as well, but we'll get to that later. We are back at the Lion House. Uh, Samoti is dancing. Larry is holding a lamp for a reason that is never explained. Uh, and then we meet Sierra, who is Larry and Kate's teenage daughter. She's voiced by Danielle Harris, who is best known for her roles in horror movies, including four appearances in the Halloween franchise. Uh, she's also the voice of the older sister in The Wild Thornberries. <laughs> I've seen absolutely none of what you've just uh, just referenced. <laughs> You're not seeing The Wild Thornberries? No. Oh, Wild Thornberries is so good. The dad is voiced by uh, Tim Curry, who is... Uh, oh, I know Tim Curry. Tim Curry's great. Uh, Nigel Thornbury is an absolute classic character. We love Nigel Thornbury. I might put a smashing in here for good measure. Smashing! So Sierra is going out with her friends. Kate says she can't go until she's eaten something. So Moti interjects by saying, it's okay to skip a few meals. Yeah, right. he thinks his granddaughter is just straight up fat. It's basically <laughs> this. Why is this a subplot as well? This, this goes nowhere. I think it's basically just showing that Samoti is a bit of a dick. Because um, his character is essentially like, he just sort of is hard drinking, hard partying, bat, you know, likes to sleep around. It's sort of the that trope of like the sort of rowdy old person that was very funny between the sort of late 90s and early 2000s. All the acting in this scene is quite good. I don't think the actors are at fault here. The acting throughout I don't really have an issue with. Mm. It's more the visuals and the, the grey visuals <laughs> and the storylines. Yeah, I mean, all the actors are, you know, they're all very acclaimed, very accomplished actors, so... No gripes with them. I don't think I've got gripes with any of the actors, really, to be honest, at any point. Snack turns up at Chutney's house with the camera. He says he's making this expose movie. Uh, we then see a turkey cleaning up the house. <laughs> and Chutney protests that he is just his roommate. <laughs> this is a running gag throughout the series, implying that the elephant and the turkey are gay. <laughs> An elephant and a turkey are in a gay relationship. <laughs> I don't know what the practicalities of that are. I, I don't even want to know, really. I also don't want to know which writer who came up with that because I would get violent. <laughs> yeah, I think there's not one writer at fault here because the the entire boardroom obviously approved this gag. So direct your violence at the DreamWorks Corporation. This is the mid-2000s, so there's a lot of gay humour here. Um we will not be... This is not the last gay joke we will see in this show. A casino is the perfect place to find someone whose life we can make better. Yeah. Now, keep your eyes open. Who is in need of our help? Mayday. Greek man in a tank top. Hold on, tank top. You must contain the hair. Roy is doing a good thing. When will it be my turn? I'm wiped out. So we're back with Siegfried and Roy. They turn up at the casino uh, looking for somebody to help. Uh, Roy goes after a Greek man in a tank top. His words, not mine. Uh, and Siegfried tries to help a man win back his money at the blackjack table. Uh, he then tries to do a card trick on the dealer, asking if this is her card. She replies, they're all my cards. Sass. It's quite funny. Uh, and then again, we're back at the fucking Lion House. Again, it's so quick. Um, yeah, so Moti essentially is pissing people off again because he's telling Hunter a scary story. Hunter is Larry and Kate's youngest son, who for some reason wears the sort of cone of shame, the thing that you put on dogs with fleas for every episode. Um, he's voiced by a guy called Daryl Sabra, who is best known for his role in Spy Kids as the boy from Spy Kids. Uh, and he would have been 11 when this was recorded. What the hell was um, his name in Spy Kids? The, the boy from the Spy boy Kids. From Spy Kids. <laughs> 
He was male spy kid. Yeah, um, yeah so essentially frightens him with a story. Um, there's a big brouhaha. Uh, Larry pulls Hunter off the wall because he gets stuck on his cone. Uh, he spills something. No idea what it is. It's purple. Uh, it goes on the zebra rug. Uh, Kate gets upset and rips the rug up. And Larry gets turned on. <laughs> Great. Yeah, the, the purple liquid was that an alcoholic drink? Was it some know. squash? Was it, it was someone like, doing watercolors? What was it? Looked like paint. Yeah. Yes, it did look like paint. It was. Uh, yeah. So the rug is destroyed. Oh no! Plot device. Here we go. Uh, we go to the watering hole, which is the local bar, uh, and then they hatch. They hatch a plan, Larry and Kate, to replace the rug after spotting a zebra drinking at the bar. They plan on killing him and replacing him with the rug with him. Oh, good. <clears throat> this is great. Um, it's Kate who makes the suggestion, but then she is immediately the one to have reservations. Yeah, quite, quite an, a, an about turn. Uh, the, the zebra was a quite camp. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my notes. Did you see the two monkeys making out of the bar as well? <laughs> it's a nice additional. Uh... <laughs> I did not. I did not see this. Um... Yeah, the zebra we find out is called Kevin. I have absolutely no idea who plays him. Uh, they go over and chat to him. Kevin accuses them of being swingers, <laughs> which is great. Uh, Kevin says he has no family or friends, which makes him a prime candidate for being murdered. And then we're back at the casino. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> yeah, Kevin's line. You both seem very attractive, but I'm not into that sort of thing. Um, must have seen the elephant and the turkey. <laughs> turkey <laughs> back at the casino we find out that Siegfried has a gambling problem uh, we flash back to when he lost all of their possessions on a where, game of craps including where does Roy's this cutaway piece. come from <laughs> I thought this was quite funny I enjoyed the cutaway it, it's not a cutaway show though I don't know they obviously watching some family guy and decided that this was the time for a cutaway joke uh, Roy then says he had to buy his codpiece back at a police auction in Winnipeg <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. And then we're back with the lions. Of course. Kevin is in the lion's house. Uh, the lions can't bring themselves to murder him. Kevin starts giving Larry a massage. So maybe they are swingers. I don't know. Um, we then find Snack has been filming the whole thing and he tells them he could steal a zebra rug, which they probably should have decided to do before planning on killing somebody. <laughs> Snack goes off and does that. Um, I don't think we see him again, do we? What, the zebra? No, we don't. No, we don't see Snack again. Does Snack reappear? Oh my god, my nose. I don't think he um, does. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's it for Snack for this episode, I think. Yeah, the um uh the the, the video subplot goes absolutely nowhere. <laughs> literally one like five <laughs> seconds of film, and that's his expose <laughs> of the entire community. Ah, <laughs> oh, kill me. Um yeah, we uh, while Snack's doing that, uh they get Kevin to lie in place of the rug. Uh, for when Samoti gets back. Back to the casino! Siegfried <laughs> is, doing really, is doing really badly at cards. Uh, he sticks on five. Roy then comes up at the ta- to the table with a pair of short shorts with the word juicy printed across them. Um, <laughs> this is my favourite line in the whole show. I lessened this away from a mother of twelve. We will no longer be forced to imagine the flavour of her buttocks. Also, is this woman now walking around with no shorts on? Yeah, well, that happens in Vegas, doesn't it? That's just expected. <laughs> Roy tries to get Siegfried to stop. 
Uh, but Siegfried asks him to believe in him. Roy is, Roy is one around and even bets his cod piece again. Uh, it's the final hand. Siegfried has a 20, but he asks for a hit. Uh, Roy then hypnotises the dealer by going, and I swear this is what he says, biddly diddly d. <laughs> it's a well-known technique in the psychic community. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, she has 19, uh, but Siegfried hits anyway, so Roy slams his head into the table. <laughs> really hard uh, and then they win uh, Siegfried and Roy celebrate uh, Siegfried then says on to roulette and Roy punches him in the face <laughs> these two are great I really like these two oh, this dynamic it's, it's as if a different writer was just assigned mm. to Siegfried and Roy and then the, the rest of the writers were just massively offensive people who didn't understand pacing in comedy <laughs> Yeah, this is this is great. Really enjoyed this. Um, but that is it for Siegfried and Roy's plot in this episode. So we've got to wrap up the main show, uh, unfortunately. Sarmoti comes back uh, with two friends. They're two meathead warthogs voiced by John DiMaggio, who's Bender in Armor and Jake the Dog in Adventure Time. <laughs> yeah, I've described them as jock walk warthogs myself. Yeah. That's really hard yeah. to say. <laughs> jock warthog. Dick, jock. Split dick slip. <laughs> split dick slip. Split dick slip. Uh, they talk about how many beers they've drunk. Uh, one of them has had more than the other, which makes the other one gay. Right. Well, yeah, that's masculinity 101, guys. <laughs> uh, Samoti so then shows them the rug and then approximately a billion things happen. Um, shall I just try and condense what happens here? Because it's ridiculous. Yes, I, I, I remember there being a lot of action here. Yeah. Um, so here we go. Samoti so finds out the rug isn't real. Hunter gets scared because the rug comes back to life. Sierra brings in the ruined zebra head. The warthogs scream. The three lions and Kevin end up getting stuck under the couch. <laughs> Pacing. How do those things link? <laughs> Kate confesses to destroying the rug, uh, lays into Sarmoti. They then make up. Uh, this resolves the plot stupidly quickly. <laughs> then Siegfried and Roy turn up and they start dancing to Centerfold by the Jay Giles band. <laughs> Remember this, kiddies. Dad's in your house now. He must play by your rules. And rule number one is party hardy. Yeah! Roy, enough talking. I want to shake it like a Polaroid picture. Look out, Samoti, you beautiful aging beast. Crazy youth is in the house. Come on! This is how the episode ends. <laughs> Yeah, it's an ongoing uh, ongoing problem with this show that the final gag or the final scene is really mundane. Yeah, it's just not a joke. Like, they just, like, Siegfried and Roy just turn up and they're just like, let's party, and then they all start dancing. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, and that's the first episode of Father of the Pride. Um, so Mosey good... did definitely move in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we answered the main question. So my final thoughts on this were there were some good jokes. I preferred the Siegfried and Roy stuff to anything else. Snack side plot went absolutely nowhere. And the pacing was in, was just wildly off. All, all my notes are about the pacing. It's just like mm. some scenes are like too long and then some just, just don't happen. Like <laughs> there's not time for... Why introduce like an important subplot about the expose and only have a half scene on it? Yeah. Um, 
But thank God for Siegfried and Roy, which we'll be saying again. Right. We'll try and uh, we'll pick up the pace, I think, uh, in the true Father of the Pride style for the remaining four episodes. We'll try and plough through this. Uh, despite the fact that this next episode we're going to talk about is probably the worst episode of television I've ever seen. <laughs> but at least a lot happens. <laughs> this is what's black and white and depressed all over. No thanks, Snack. I'm dropping Hunter off and i got to get home to Kate. She's in heat and this is the first day we've had any alone time. No Hunter, no Sierra, no Sarmody. Just Kate and me in 45 minutes. Ah, little bungle in the jungle. A little zoom zoom in the boom boom. What zoom zoom in the boom boom? Who wants a Gandalf action figure? Cool. So Larry is taking Hunter to wrestling practice, which becomes immediately unimportant uh, because Snack turns up and Larry tells him that Kate is in heat and they're having some alone time. Uh, Hunter then asks what zoom zoom a de boom boom is and Larry gets him to stop by saying he'll buy him a Gandalf action figure. Oh, that bit of audio there of you saying that is worth everything. <laughs> zoom zoom a de boom boom. Um, Larry gets home dodging questions from various animals. Um... There's more with Chutney and the turkey. Yes, their uh, economic arrangement, as it's described. <laughs> Who the fuck is Roger the orangutan? <laughs> Roger the orangutan has a mole on his ass that he uh, he wants to get Larry to check out for some reason. Um, but Larry Larry pushes him to one side. He then gets into his house and says some horrific things, including, it might be 9am in New York, but right now it's mounting time. <laughs> Please stop. How is there a link there? <laughs> Unfortunately, Larry's plans to mount his wife are disrupted uh, by Fu Ling, the panda, who's voiced by Lisa Kudrow. Oh, I didn't get that down. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Actor, director, producer and friend Lisa Kudrow. Friend uh, of Fu the pod. Fu Ling is whining. Friend of, the, friend of the pod, friend to us all. Uh, she'll be there for us. Fulin is whining that she's single. Larry is still trying to bang his wife. He sprays some whipped cream on his stomach as a way to entice Kate into the bedroom. This is gross. Um, we've... I could just listen to you race through these episodes all day. <laughs> the father of the Pride audiobook. Uh, Fooling then sees her sister on TV and she's pregnant. Uh, she starts whinging about the fact she'll never find a man. Uh, she has a pet cat called Mr. Wright. I don't know how animals can own pets. <laughs> <laughs> There's a hierarchy that allows pandas to own cats. <laughs> yeah, there's some more whinging. Fooling is really annoying. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I described her as unbearable in my notes, so yeah. <laughs> She's horrible. Uh, Samoti brings in a sexy lady lion uh, to watch some poker. There's more whinging. The women talk to Fooling about their feelings while the men complain. This is the tropiest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Uh, then the cat joins in, uh, saying that uh, Fooling is going to put him in a sailor suit and ask Larry to eat him now. Um, I don't know. I don't know why the cat can talk and is also a pet. I've put in my notes: is this slavery? And also, there's a slight zoophilia suggestion there as well. <laughs> I think we're well beyond that now. Um, then, as if by magic, or in brackets, poor script writing, a news report comes on TV saying that Siegfried and Roy have bought a male panda called Bong Bong in the hopes of starting a panda breeding programme. Larry hatches a plan to set the two pandas up, even though this is literally what Siegfried and Roy are trying to do. <laughs> yeah. D overlapping plot much. 
we've gone from the three plots in episode one to one plot told three times. So there's a big ceremony for the panda arriving. Larry says, if fooling is still on our couch by tomorrow morning, I'm buying a gun from the internet and hiring someone with fingers to shoot me. <laughs> it's quite a good line. I mean, I'm I not, like that not such a fan of the domestic violence, but you know, it's a good line. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed the line. Uh, Siegfried and Roy show up in a giant space capsule. Can I, uh, can Sieg- I do my dodgy impression here? Oh, well, it was only a matter of time. Yeah, go for it. Once again, they shall roam the plains as they did before the white man came. (laughs) That's the exact line I've got down as well. (laughs) We meet Bong Bong, whose real name is... (laughs) Are you all right? Bong Bong! Uh, Bong Bong, uh, his actual name is Nelson. <laughs> he describes Bong Bong as his slave name, which makes me feel very uncomfortable. Um, um, Andy Richter is the name of the actor who voices Bong Bong. He's best known as Conan O'Brien's sidekick Stop in various Bong programs. Bong. <laughs> Nelson, Nelson from now on, uh, chats with the lions and they arrange to go for a drink. Larry asks Nelson if the Chinese food is good in Beijing and Nelson says it's not as good as the stuff in New York or equally in Japan. Hit the track! (laughs) The broccoli returns. Uh, Nelson says that he hasn't had much experience with women. In fact, he's never seen another panda. Uh, Larry says to Nelson to try and flirt with her. Nelson says he can rap. Uh, Larry tells him not to do this, uh, which means he's definitely going to rap. Uh, The pandas meet. It's very awkward. It takes about 30 seconds for Nelson to start rapping. (laughs) All this happens in about 30 seconds, and I have zero time to process what's going on. (laughs) They needed more than 20 minutes, didn't they? Yeah. Well, I think they thought they needed more than 20 minutes. Um, Siegfried and Roy are spying on them. They're dressed as pandas. Uh, this is another great line. What's the line? We are investigating panda sensuality. <laughs> Did you get the bit where they just start talking about baseball for no reason? Nope. <laughs> talking about baseball. Um, and then all of a sudden, Nelson professes his love for Kate. Which comes from nowhere. Just comes from absolutely nowhere. <laughs> absolute nowhere. Um, one of my notes is just pacing, all in capital letters. <laughs> uh, so this happens. Uh, Siegfried and Roy call over a scientist whose name is just Scientist. Uh, he has some animal pheromones, but Roy wants nature to take its course and then tells the scientist to go back to pruning my grandmother. <laughs> Famous scientific activity, you know. <laughs> Dealing with the pandemic on the one hand, <laughs> pruning someone's grandmother on the other. The, uh, the pandemic. Wee. Uh, uh, Siegfried is spraying the pheromones on himself and then he's attacked by a chimp. <laughs> this becomes important. So are they on. selling pheromones or what are they doing? Because there's then They're... a whole line of animals who want pheromones. There's, there's like, a, I think Siegfried's like spraying himself with all the pheromones and this attracts a range of animals who want to mate with him because um, they, they want to use the pheromones to like attract the pandas to one another but Roy's like no nature will take its course 
But what? Um, why? Why? Why are they not just focusing on panda pheromones then? Why is an ostrich in in the line? <laughs> sorry, a flamingo, not an ostrich. That, an oh, ostrich sorry, that would, would be an incredibly boring animal to have in this already quite boring show. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. Clearly, then we get back to the lions and the pandas. Uh, Nelson shows up with flowers for Kate, but Fu Ling takes them. Uh, Larry is taking this whole thing surprisingly well. Uh, he goes outside. Nelson tries to fight Larry, but Larry can't take him seriously. Uh, Larry says for Nelson to take a seat, so Nelson sits on his lap. None of these jokes make any sense, nor do they follow on from one another. <laughs> Larry tells Nelson he only fancies Kate because she was the first woman that was nice to him. We then hear another new character. Do you get Travis the orangutan? When I first met my true love, Glenda, I must have wrote 30 songs in one weekend. Travis, get in here! Then she up and died, and I got stuck with this bitch. Jesus fucking Christ. Just a reminder, this is an orangutan, not a human being, <laughs> saying all of this. This show was marketed as From the Creators of Shrek, <laughs> a children's film. Um, Nelson goes back inside. He professes his love to Kate. Uh, he starts talking shit about Larry. Kate sort of agrees. The line from Kate here, Larry, your idea of foreplay is telling me that you peed. <laughs> Which I'm sure for some people is the vibe they're going for. <laughs> No shame here. Uh, Fu Ling interjects with, I'm going to die a virgin. <laughs> Great. Um, then this horrible thing happens. Um, Sarmoti intervenes and sell, tells Nelson to have sex with Fu Lin so he can basically get one in the can. Um, <laughs> Classic here's a, granddad. Here's a horrible line. Fu Ling says, I deserve love. And Samoti replies with, no, you don't. You're a fat middle-aged virgin. You deserve Nelson. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, this is utterly horrible. And for some reason it works. The pandas leave. And Together. everything is just sort of, everything is sort of wrapped up. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't know if in some of the episodes we didn't watch whether this plot was taken any further or whether that was it. Um, I think Nelson comes up again. I don't know if Fu Ling does because uh, Lisa Kudrow was too famous yeah. <laughs> to do this. What episode Bollard. deal. Didn't Friends end like the year before this? Oh, as if I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. What was I thinking? Um, yeah, everything's wrapped up stupidly quickly. Uh, Siegfried and Roy are watching the pandas frolic. They then walk past the chimp that attacks Siegfried earlier and the chimp says, what was I thinking? Office romances never work. <laughs> so, did they fuck? It kind that of is, like I, they fucked. My note is, what the hell was that at the end? Was there monkey-human relations? <laughs> end of notes. <laughs> and that's the episode. Uh, this was horrible. Uh, more happened, though. Yeah, but it was all awful. I mean, not as much happened as what we're going to talk about in the third episode, but <laughs> a decent amount happened. But yes, there was a whole cavalcade of misogyny going on yep. uh, and awkward statements and an orangutan um, calling his wife a bitch. <laughs> Who is this show for? Uh, shall we get on to episode three? Uh, and then we'll oh, round this, this is up, the one for me. Here. This is the one. This is it for you. All right, okay. This is a good... Uh, One of my notes is I accidentally started this episode on 1.5 speed and the opening (laughs) song sounds really funny. (laughs) It's already too fast. (laughs) 
Yeah, there's no scene before the opening titles here. It's like, have they given up on the opening scene now? And it's just, just the opening titles from now on. They looked at the budget and they were like, well, we can't really afford to spend another half a million dollars on the tees, so we'll just do two. So Larry is watching some baby footage of Sierra, which for some reason is set to carry on Wayward Son by Kansas. <laughs> and he edited it himself, as he said. Yeah. On what? <laughs> Tape looping. We learn that Siegfried and Roy are taking the lions out to dinner. How? They're lions. <laughs> They're lions. Uh, Sierra then says, meat is murder, storms out, and so she's my new favourite character. I thought that might be the case. I was going to go in on you with how much you must have loved <laughs> Sierra. The leftist revolutionary. Yeah. She's basically a brattier, more left-wing version of Lisa Simpson. Uh, yes. Is basically... <laughs> how it comes down to. Uh, Sarmoti has left to babysit Hunter, who's playing with some really cool-looking Lord of the Rings toys. Uh, is unhappy because he has to cancel a date who is apparently easier to get into than Florida State. <laughs> I've got this quote as well. <laughs> he then asks Hunter if he agrees, and his reply is, I like elves. <laughs> Amazing. You do uh, you, Hunter. <laughs> you do you, pal. You do you. Uh, we're at dinner in an actual restaurant. Siegfried and Roy show up wearing masks, the masquerade kinds, not the government-mandated kind. Uh, <laughs> the Mater D recognises them anyway because their theme song is playing. Siegfried <laughs> and MJ Roy! For... <laughs> Any excuse. Um, Sierra wanders over to the lobster tank where we meet Emerson the lobster. Who is he voiced by, Nathan? Uh, Danny DeVito, for some reason. <laughs> it's Danny fucking DeVito. Emerson is a lobster political prisoner. <laughs> he says to Sierra that he didn't survive so many dinners by making small talk with prostitutes. Sierra is supposed to be 16. Uh, what? <laughs> Emerson then gives Sierra some newsletters to distribute, and then we learn that Barbara Streisand is coming to town. And they've made a red meat bust of Barbara Streisand, <laughs> which probably annoyed you on two levels. <laughs> Well, I mean, the meat annoyed me, but what, what about Streisand? I love Barbara Streisand. Oh, of course you do. Of course, yeah, like a 70s singer-songwriter vibes, yeah. <laughs> Look, Woman in Love is incredible. I love that song. Yeah. Siegfried goes to order the lobster. They then say they are all out, which resolves that tension stupidly quickly. Uh, Siegfried then orders another a salami bust of somebody, but their accents are so bad, I couldn't tell who he said. Yep, I don't know as well. <laughs> I was all in for Barbara at this point. Yeah, wait wait for Barbara Streisand. Um, we're back to Sarmoti and Hunter. Uh, Hunter's at the bar. Um, the lady lion calls things off because she can't be bothered with someone who's scared of commitment. Uh, Sarmoti then pulls out the old trope of using the kid to get the woman uh, and they make plans to go to dinner. Great. Uh, Sierra's reading the newsletter. She's taken in by Emerson's left-wing spiel. Uh, they hatch a plan to rescue Emerson... Uh, which Larry doesn't understand, so she storms off. Uh, this is, again, fairly tropey at this point. Em- Emerson's rant reminds me of your rants when I'm uh, <laughs> when I'm in Norwich, you know, what, the plastic. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying, cut that fucking six-pack ring up, okay? I mean, I, I agree, you could just, like, buy you. six... You know, you could change the economy that's, you know, buying six bottles or cans is cheaper. Exactly. 
Uh, you could. Well, I thought you were going to talk about my rant about banning children from my future oh, wedding. No, we won't go into that. That paints you <laughs> in a very bad light, so we're not going to go into that. Larry rescues Emerson to win his daughter round. Uh, they start a campaign about the plastic rings. They make some poster boards. Emerson is in a fishbowl with no water in it. <laughs> what What's the deal with lobsters? Do they need Do they mm. need water to yeah. to breathe? I, I looked this up. They of do. course you did. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob and Greenpeace. <laughs> so they they need they're not mammals. No, they are okay. crustaceans. Okay, um, I don't know about yeah, science. <laughs> Me neither. I know about Wikipedia though. Yeah, Emerson has also unplugged the TV, calling it the mind control box, and that's where he lost me. Finally. <laughs> Something totally mental happens next. Nathan, who do we get next? <laughs> Dick Cheney's here, why not? <laughs> again. I can hear you wild men in there. It's me, the chainsaw. Yeah, very funny. Your arm is a blade that cuts trees. Dick oh, fucking Cheney, former vice president of the, U- of the US and all-round nasty piece of work. Oh. Um, am I wrong? <laughs> he shows up and he calls himself the chainsaw. <laughs> Siegfried and Roy then talk about their history with vice presidents and they say they found Al Gore a bit douchey despite his <laughs> virulent environmentalism. Despite being a much better person than Dick Cheney. Um, Dick Cheney is voiced by Mark Mosley, who is a voice actor who is most famous for doing celebrity double work. Uh, he has been the voice of Eddie Murphy, Patrick Stewart, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Robin Williams. <laughs> How can one person sound like all of those people? He's like that guy from Police Academy. <laughs> That's a fucking film you've seen. I haven't seen it. No, okay. I just know about that guy. Good. The Dick Cheney thing goes absolutely nowhere, by the way. Yeah, don't don't think Dick only Dick appears. Oh my god. <laughs> he is a recurring character in this show, though, because he comes up again. I do love a bit of recurring Dick. <laughs> nope, too easy. Um. Uh, the, the Cheney thing goes nowhere. Uh, the Lions then go out to dinner with Emerson, who complains about a lack of aquatic aquatic access, <laughs> despite the fact that his tank hasn't got any fucking water in it, uh, and his head is also not in the tank. I don't know. Um, he and Sierra storm off. Uh, Hunter says that Emerson must be on his period. Uh, he's clearly been spending too much time with his foul-mouthed grandpa. What Hunter says that? Yeah. Oh, does he? Oh my God, Hunter! You need to get <laughs> the... back to Gandalf, whatever shit you're doing. <laughs> Um, yeah, the lions are asleep. Emerson wakes them up. Uh, they're holding a, ro- a protest against the watering hole. Uh, we meet some gay rabbits. <laughs> Gary and Lamont, I've written down their names. <laughs> so can we ra- can we just have a sort of side character check at this point? So we've had Travis the orangutan. We've had the chimp that had sex with a man. The gay rabbits. The potentially gay elephant. The steroid abusing warthogs. <laughs> anymore and none of them literally none of them are worth fucking anything (laughs) yes the simpsons this ain't in terms of side characters um yep larry tells them all to leave uh goes to throw emerson out but sierra tells him to stop jacob jacob this is going to be the situation when we live together when you're having your all your activists (laughs) round and it gets to about 11 i'm like oh could you leave 
<laughs> so there's a scene where Samosi tries to have sex with the lady lion, but Hunter is playing next to them, which is really gross. Um, the excuse that um, Samosi gives for Hunter not having any parents is that his mum joined a cult and his dad went gay. Went gay. The uh, <laughs> the famous 2000 saying, went gay. That is, uh, of course, what happens to people. Uh, one day they just wake up and they decide that's it. <laughs> I'm joking, obviously. Um, we won't spend. We're, I'm not going to spend any time on it uh, because we then go to. <laughs> yes, please play that in. I mean, you know, people are entitled to their sexual proclivities. You know, I mean, let there be a thousand blossoms bloom, as far as I'm concerned. You know, but I ain't spending any time on it because, in the meantime, every three months, a person is torn to pieces by a crocodile in north queensland sadly we don't get any crocodiles uh, but we do get an aquarium uh, because larry drops emerson off at the aquarium uh, we then get a fucking awful looking barbara streisand cartoon <laughs> who shows up sees emerson and decides she wants to eat him <laughs> and i guess this is not voiced by barbara no it is not <laughs> what are your um because i have a this is a real pet peeve of mine where Especially animated shows get celebrities, quote unquote, who aren't the actual celebrity. It really annoys me for some reason. What's the what's the copyright on that as well? Like using someone's likeness? Yeah, I don't know because I, th- I thought you'd know about this. I know you love media law. So I, thought... <laughs> I don't actually. Uh, I love media law, but I don't know this particular rule. Um, but yeah, she is quite clearly meant to be Barbara Streisand. Her nose is horrific. It's not the uh, not the nicest depiction, no. No. Sierra uh, says to Larry, Emerson is probably in a boiling pot right now. Larry says, don't think that way, honey. Maybe they grilled him. <laughs> it's actually quite good. Quick and painful death. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Snack turns up, who is fast becoming my least favourite character. Um, what the fuck is a gopher anyway? <laughs> He hatches a plan to save Emerson, but for some reason it involves strippers. Snack can go do one. Um, Kate runs into Sarmoti and the Lady Lion. The Lady Lion gets into an argument because uh, she thinks Kate's an awful person. Sarmoti runs away. Uh, we then cut back to uh, um, Barbara Streisand and James Brolin, who again is not played by James Brolin. Um, James says, I miss you when I can't see your face. And Barbara tells him to shut up. <laughs> Finally, a woman gets gets some meaty dialogue in this show. Well, she is a woman in love. Yeah. Um, what can I say? So Siegfried and Roy come in, introduce themselves to Barbara, even though we already saw them together. It's details like this that make me angry. Hello, Barbara. <laughs> Barry finds Emerson trapped in a glass container again with no water in it. Snack cuts the power. We then cut to Dick Cheney, who yells, Castro, you bastard. <laughs> It was kind of funny. It was worth it for that. <laughs> it's good fun. Uh, then uh, Siegfried and Roy turn on their strobe lights. They formed. They force James Brolin to dance with them. Barbara then gets into a fight with Emerson. Um, they like have a sword fight with some knives. <laughs> knives. Uh, the, uh, the fight ends when Larry throws some seasoning into her face. <laughs> uh, they make their escape. Roy tries to beat up James Brolin because he won't dance with them. <laughs> what seasoning was it? <laughs> I don't know. Take some oregano. <laughs> oregano. 
Larry, Sierra and Emerson walk home. Emerson's being mean to Larry. Sierra then sees through Emerson's bollocks and throws him down a storm drain. And that's the end of that. (laughs) And then the last scene here is pretty dodgy as well. Gandalf, Gandalf, come on. Dad, we worked this out. You promised. (sighs) The Morlocks are coming. Awesome. That's better. Hey, kids. What if I buy you some beer? It'll be our secret, huh? There's no alcohol in Middle Earth, Grandpa. Crap. There's a line in here that really annoyed me, which is uh, Hunter saying, there's no alcohol in Middle Earth, which is a lie. Yeah, I swear, like, even I've seen, you know, some of Lord of the Rings, and I'm pretty sure the opening has got... It's like, Isn't it like a festival, the opening? Yeah. Yeah, and they're yes, all... Yes, Bilbo's at, birthday. They're all on the boozer. <laughs> Yeah, so not only is uh, this show bad, it's also factually inaccurate. What did you think to this episode, Nathan? This, I thought that this was like quite good fun. I thought, like, <laughs> oh, you enjoyed this one? Well, just you? because of the wide variety of people who show up, Dick <laughs> Cheney and Barbara Streisand <laughs> in the same episode, also a Jackson Five psych, and also Secret of Roy just existing is enough. <laughs> yeah, I've put that this episode is the best of the three that we've seen so far, but that's yeah. not saying a great deal. Mm. Yeah, this one I was I, I, halfway through. I wasn't like, oh, am I made it through yet? I actually uh, enjoyed this one. Yeah, would you say that? I think after the panda episode, like it, it's a hell of a lot easier to watch this. Yeah, I I mean the first episode, I was just so baffled by the lack of context <laughs> I was given that I just really struggled <laughs> to get through it. But yeah, mm. I slowly, I slowly got into this. Yeah, yeah, I I I was the same. Yeah, first two were a, such a slog. Um, and then the final three, I think, just by comparison, were much, much better to get through. So let's go on to an episode that looks completely bonkers, shall we? I'm seeing spots! Hey, here comes that Deborah chick. I hear she is wild. The elephant? You're into that? Come on, you never had the pinned in the lake fantasy? You know, I'm just here at the water's edge getting a drink. Whoops, I slipped. Or did I? This episode is called Donkey, uh, and we'll find out why very shortly. Larry, Samoti, and another lion that we've never met before are outside their house catcalling a lady leopard. Do you want to know my first note for this episode? (laughs) Yes, more than anything. A flamingo verbally assaults a leopard to start the episode. I think at this point I'm just so used to it that that didn't even cross my mind. Yeah. Mm. This is uh, Vincent the Flamingo, who is a recurring character but hasn't been important to us yet, so we're going to move on. Um, Kate walks in, is totally fine with her husband (laughs) overseeing some abuse. Uh, She tells the gang that Donkey from Shrek is in town. Not Eddie Murphy as Donkey, actual Donkey. How does this universe work? <laughs> Entertainment inception all over the place. <laughs> yes. The, 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 the actor is called Donkey, but the character is also called Donkey. So is Shrek real in this universe? <laughs> now that is the episode we all want. They <laughs> think he's going to come over and tell Samoti to get out my swamp. <laughs> get out of the magical garden. <laughs> You're going the right way about a smack bottom. It's <laughs> my favourite line. Um, Hunter and some friends get chased by some a local bully. Uh, his family seem fairly unfazed by this. Apparently a kid called Billy didn't bring in his protection money. This is a fucking racketeering operation. 
<laughs> Talk about a rough neighbourhood. <laughs> a pyramid scheme. <laughs> uh, it's career day at school tomorrow. Hunter doesn't want Larry to come in because he's afraid he'll embarrass him. Uh, Hunter is this close to being hot-tailed, which is apparently... Uh, so when somebody lights a match under somebody's tail, uh, I thought this would be a good chance to talk about any stupid pranks that uh, you played on people or had played on you at school. Uh, well, there was one at uni where we placed uh, some gherkins um, <laughs> by someone's door and everyone came back drunk and the gherkins ended up with all the juice on the floor. And I've oh. never played a prank again after that. <laughs> Um, I think I'm I'm going to be honest, Nathan. It doesn't sound like you played a prank in the first place. You just put some gherkins by somebody's door. Yeah. I don't really do pranks because like, it sort of just fucks shit up and that's not really my bag. We had, um, speaking of bags, we had a prank at school called cabbaging um, where you would get someone's bag, take all their stuff out, turn the bag inside out and then put all the stuff back in. Okay. Ha ha ha. <laughs> We then took that to the... Well, I never, I wasn't part of this because I wasn't cool enough, but we, um, the, the, the people that did took this to the next level um, and put actual cabbages in people's bags. <laughs> That's more like it. Oh, my God! Stop the car! What is this monstrosity doing here? What happened to our favourite Applebee's? It has been destroyed to reveal this horrifically charming slice of quaint Americana. Oh, this ice is appalling! Where's the neon? There is the reassuring corporate logo. Where is the African-American performer palatable to middle America such as Dionne Warwick or Lou Rawls? These small businesses will... So Siegfried and Roy are out and about in their limo. Uh, they're waving at some buildings. Uh, they then discover that their favourite Applebee has been taken over uh, by an independent business. Nathan, do you want to say the name of the business in your accent? Uh, I'm not sure I've got the business name down. Oh, no. Shall I do it? <laughs> yes, please do. Okay. Um, the name of the business is Grandma Wilson's Bed and Breakfast. <laughs> oh, like a through. warm apple pie. <laughs> uh, Siegfried says that small businesses will destroy our way of life. While Siegfried <laughs> votes for Trump. <laughs> oh, they're so Trump. <laughs> Uh, Roy says that they must destroy Grandma Wilson, not just to give themselves something to do during the day, but to protect the city that they love. <laughs> this was great. I'm always, I don't know about you, but I'm always really hesitant to like stuff we re we review for this podcast. I always feel a bit dirty when I like something, um, but I do really like Siegfried and Roy. If, if that's your authentic reaction, I think that's allowed. I mean, we're going to do an awards ceremony and there will be... <laughs> a category, I can't remember exactly what I've called it, but it's called something like bad things that weren't actually bad. <laughs> so um, there's no need to feel morally dubious about this. Okay, and uh, Siegfried you. and Roy are, are great. So Yeah, they will probably be in that category. Um, so uh, we then get to the careers day at the school. Uh, Blake the Tiger is giving a speech. Blake comes up in some other episode. He's Larry's main rival. He's voiced by John O'Hurley, who is uh, Jay Peterman in Seinfeld. Uh, his wife, Victoria, then comes in and introduces them to Blake's friend, the MGM Lion. <laughs> yeah, the MGM Lion turns up for career today. He's looking good. <laughs> For being about <laughs> as old as the motion picture industry. That's the I've got. I really hope it's the same lion that they've had mm. for this all this time. It's just been kept alive by various cocktails of drugs. 
Um, he then panders to the crowd, uh, produces a cutout of the MGM logo and does a raw a la the MGM ident. I thought this was quite funny. Yeah, yeah, I liked this a lot. I like, I know, yeah, I like the fact that it was really young, and that was like, what? Larry follows this up. The kids aren't impressed. One of them says, "When does it end?" Which drew a genuine laugh from me. Uh, Larry blurts out that he knows donkeys, which the kid go kids go crazy for. The teacher thinks donkey is hot. <laughs> that charisma. <laughs> uh, Larry Buckles says he'll bring donkey by the class tomorrow, despite the fact that he doesn't actually know him. Uh, Larry gets chewed out by Kate for lying. She asks, why didn't you promise them Justin Timberlake? To which Larry replies, is he into dudes? What's going on there? Oh, my God. Where did this come from? <laughs> oh, he can dance. He must be gay. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I um, Sorry about I, that. I don't know what happened there. That's <laughs> OK. Um, must be a memory there somewhere. Justin Timberlake seems incredibly straight to me. He's dated a string of very attractive women. He's currently married to Jessica Beale. Yes, but he can body pop, so he must be a oh, bit yeah. gay. He must love the willy. Um, I did some research into this, Nathan. You'll be pleased to know. According to the website gayorstraight.com... <laughs> <laughs> also, very exclusive of the other sexualities, that website. Uh, um, JT is straight. However... <laughs> <laughs> Lance Bass or Bass from NSYNC once thought that Justin Timberlake was gay because he told the band that he wanted to play a gay part in a movie <laughs> oh. weird anyway <gasps> you boys looking for a room? we would like to file a complaint who's your pound company? come again? what corporation owns you? Weston? Marriott? Perhaps Disney. Oh, bless your heart. No, it's just little old me. Siegfried and Roy are back at the bed and breakfast. They're freaked out by how real everything is. Roy burns himself on a candle because he thinks it's made of plastic. (laughs) They meet Grandma Wilson. They ask her who... Grandpa Wilson. Uh, They ask her who her parent company is, which I thought was quite funny. Um, She tries to offer them some homemade ice cream, which Siegfried is almost tempted by, but Roy pulls him away. They leave the B&B and threaten to come back and stage a protest. This whole scene was fantastic. Yeah, Siegfried is saved by the power of the dollar necklace. (laughs) The power of the dollar compels you. The almighty dollar. I thought this was really funny and quite clever as well. Is this the best scene that we watched? Yes. Yeah. It's the best Um, written yeah, um, the, the line about wanting air conditioning, a Wendy's and a lightsaber coin machine, I thought was really <laughs> funny. I like where Siegfried's almost tempted by the homemade ice cream and he's like, is that cinnamon? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Reminds me of the markets of Cologne. The markets of Cologne. <laughs> God, we are so xenophobic. <laughs> We meet Donkey, and he is actual Donkey, as if he is a, his, because he's a different animation style to the rest of the characters. He looks so much better. He's walking along to the tune of All Star by Smash Mouth. Why have we gone this long without that coming up in a podcast? Oh, uh, yeah, mixed feelings on a uh, Smash Mouth. <laughs> walking on the Sun, great tune. All Star, it's fine. Do you think they just uh, they had like a floppy disk of the donkey character that they they then? Yeah, Katzenberg just always has a memory stick with all the um, the DreamWorks 
Um, oh, it's way too assets. early for a memory stick, surely. <laughs> Maybe he had another floppy disk with the star, Starfish navigation system loaded up onto it. <laughs> the Macromedia Shockwave. <laughs> Snack distracts the security by asking them if they take the word God out of the Pledge of Allegiance, which I thought was funny. Uh, they beat Snack up. Uh, Larry catches up with Donkey, asks them to swing by the school, which Donkey agrees to. That was easy. Uh, he then goes to speak to Donkey's manager, Ellen, who is a pig with very prominent teats. <laughs> She's just such a Wazowski character. <laughs> you forgot to hand in your paperwork. Uh, Ellen says it ain't going to happen, so Larry goes back to Donkey. Uh, Larry, Donkey says that... Um, uh, he has to make it a top priority. Larry goes back to Ellen, says that she has nice nipples, <laughs> and then Ellen says no. Uh, Donkey then says he wishes he could say yes to all his fans, but he wants to have a life, so he gets Ellen to say no for him. Eddie Murphy does Eddie Murphy things in quite a funny rant. Donkey walks away, but lets Larry know that Shrek 3 is coming out in 2006. Which it wasn't. It came out in 2007. What did you think of Eddie Murphy as Donkey? I um, am more a fan of Eddie Murphy's uh, adult stand-up from the <laughs> 80s. I don't okay. know if you've seen any of that. It's fucking hilarious. No, not seen a great deal of the sort of golden age of stand-up stuff. Um, my God, you, you, should, you should watch. I can't remember which one it is. One of them, he's wearing a, uh, a purple jumpsuit and <laughs> it looks amazing. Um, but yeah, I like the donkey character, especially the Shirley Bassey line from Shrek 2. <laughs> Um, and he does like Shirley Bassey, <laughs> and he does a pretty good job here. Um, I suggest people don't watch Norbit, though. Oh dear, <laughs> that sounds like another film that you caught a glimpse of at three a.m. in a Philadelphia hotel room. <laughs> what was that film I watched in Cleveland? I can't I? remember. It was, was it oh, ha- it was Happy Gilmore. That was oh, it. that was it. Yeah, and it was another shit two thousands comedy. We're back to Siegfried and Roy. They're having their protest. They get some dancing girls to hold up some signs, including one that says, we value no values, which I thought was great. Uh, Roy says, we don't want to know our neighbours' names, right? Short, fat, bald guy. Which is really Just good. Just knocking it out of the park. Really good. Uh, Grandma Wilson comes out and is nice to the protesters. Siegfried says that he needs the bathroom. Grandma Wilson lets him and Roy is appalled that she is letting him use the bathroom without paying for something. Yeah, can we just talk about that for one moment? That is <laughs> I knew like, you'd want to talk about this. That is that is a pet peeve of any road trip. Look, if I need to have a shit, okay, <laughs> let me go into a little chef. and I Just like, it's basic hum- a basic human need. And I'm sorry I haven't purchased a Mars bar from your... <laughs> from your heart attack inducing establishment but i just need to have a pee just let me do it i uh very recently was in london and i was on my way to meet somebody oh it's an impossibility in london to find a place that will let you i ended up going into a pub uh, because i really needed to go um and i was so tight for time um i thought you know i'll just nip in Nip back out again, it'll be fine. The owner of the pub was on the door and he took my order on the door. Um, and I just said to him, like, because I was, wasn't thinking, I was like, oh, I'll have a half pint of cider. Uh, and then he looked at me and goes, pint of Carlsberg? <laughs> what? You wanted cider? <laughs> I know. He got the measurement and the and the drink wrong. Uh, and because I was, he was in a rush, I was just like, yeah, fine, whatever. So I ran. I I had my wee while he was pouring my pint. 
ran back out, paid an extortionate amount of money for this drink, took two sips and left it outside and then <laughs> ran away. That is so Jacob. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, I relate to that, your, uh, your hatred of having to purchase things to use the bathroom. Uh, then things go mental. Um, Roy gives up. Siegfried decides that it's his turn to solve the problem. We then do a hard cut to Siegfried and Grandma Wilson in bed together <laughs> after they had sex. What the fuck? <laughs> and there's a close-up on her bra for no oh, reason. Oh, and the bra is huge. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, Siegfried then says if she wants another slice of Siegfried pie, there will have to be some changes around here. Oh, this episode was doing so well. I thought it was really funny. Oh, no. (laughs) I hated this. I really hated this. It just came out of nowhere. It was... Like, what? It was... (laughs) What? She probably... Yeah, she probably, uh, you know, enticed him with her cinnamon scent. (laughs) Or cologne. Or cologne. (laughs) Dear. Double meaning. Oh, yeah, I'm not a fan of this. It sort of threw me off for the rest of the episode, um, just because it was, came out of nowhere. Should we uh, talk about Donkey getting kidnapped then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's cleanse the palate there. Um, yeah, Larry and Snack are watching Hunter. He's got his own crew of kids now who are all wearing the cone. Uh, Sarmosi wanders over and helps offers to help Larry out for the good of his grandson, and they all kidnap Donkey. <laughs> oh, thank God! It was hotter in there than free Tabasco night at a Ricky Martin concert. Why are you talking like that? Because I'm upset. I was about to pass out in there. Though your duct tape did just wax my mustache to a silky sheen. Thank you for that. Donkey, quote-unquote, gets out of the bag. They sort of kidnaps him in a big duffel sack. And then in the campest voice I've ever heard, <laughs> says that the bag was hotter than free Tabasco night at a Ricky Martin concert. <laughs> She's in to superstition. <laughs> that song's come up again. She yeah. bangs. She bangs. This is Donkey's stunt double. Um, Larry manages to convince the stunt Donkey to go to Hunter's class as he will finally get to be the star of the show. We then cut to Donkey and Ellen wondering where the stunt double is. Uh, they decide to go looking for him. Donkey is in town filming a commercial for an SUV. Uh, he doesn't want to do it himself because they roll over. He's even read the consumer report. <laughs> Excellent attention to detail from Eddie Murphy. Love that shit. Uh, Siegfried and Roy read the consumer report. <laughs> Siegfried and Roy have managed to get Grandma Wilson to change her humble B and B into a giant casino uh, called Jamboreeville. Compete with gambling rides and singer Lou Rawls. <laughs> yeah, Lou Rawls is just there. <laughs> Again, had to look up who he was. I thought they said Lou Walsh at some point. Oh, so Lou I... Rawls is a Dave Packham staple, so I was aware of <laughs> Lou Rawls. That's your dad. Yes. For those who don't know. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Big up. Big up, Dave Packham. Um, Roy tells Siegfried that he saved Las Vegas, but Siegfried is distracted by Grandma Wilson beckoning him over. Siegfried tells Roy he'll be back in an hour and then rubs his teeth and goes off to bang the old lady again. (laughs) So Siegfried has had sex with a chimp and an old woman. (laughs) Oh, God, I wouldn't want to go to the clinic with him. Oh, dear. Back to the school. Uh, the stunt donkey is winning over the kids. Uh, he blows the whole thing sky high when he opens his mouth. Uh, the teacher calls Larry evil for playing with his dreams. Uh, Larry then gives a rousing speech about how the stunt dog donkey helped take their mind off all the horrors in the world. It doesn't work. One of the kids yells, I've just wet myself. 
don't know why. Uh, the real donkey shows up looking for his stunt double. He's mad at first, but upon seeing Hunter being bullied, he is reminded of his own troubled childhood. So he bursts in and saves the day. The kids cheer. Donkey tells Larry to swing by his place in L.A. next time he's in town. But Ellen follows up with, it's not going to happen. Then I had to do some research for this bit. Larry yells, your people killed Mama Cass. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was a reference to agents. But no, apparently Mama Cass choked to death on a ham sandwich. She did not. I believe it was uh, other substances. That is an urban legend. Yes, she had a heart attack. Hunter asks Larry if he actually knows any real celebrities. Uh, Larry says that he knows Justin Timberlake. The kids pipe up and Larry legs it. Uh, we end with Donkey stunt double being obliterated as part of this commercial whilst Donkey gets a massage. Once again, a totally pointless final scene. Didn't like, yeah. The, the, the best final scene, I think, for me is uh, Sarmoti talking to Hunter with the Lord of the Rings stuff. Uh, this was What, not you that. mean where an adult is giving alcohol to minors? Like, we're beyond that now, Nathan. A turkey is fucking an elephant. <laughs> F- forgive me if that doesn't Lou bother Rules me. has turned up. <laughs> Do I have to play in some Lou Rules? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll see you when I get there. Nathan, let's wrap this up. It's the final episode. Oh, it's... this episode's so fucking boring. <laughs> it's called Stage Fright. And on the DVD, this is entitled Revised Pilot. I have no idea what that means. So was the storyboard pilot the same as this or a different pilot? I think the storyboard is clip. Like, clips from the storyboarded episode are in this episode, I think. Okay. Um, we'll get into that because I know that doesn't make any sense to you at home but we will get to that in a minute um, according to Wikipedia anyway this was the last episode put out on US TV so we'll but go it was a there. pilot it was a pilot but a revised <laughs> pilot I don't know what revised pilot means it was a pilot that was the final episode <laughs> I want to work in TV so much do, do you know what YouTube said about this uh, this this episode no video not available <laughs> Great. So we open the episode mid-performance, which I think is the first time we've actually seen them do any magic in this watch-through. Larry doesn't go on stage because he has stage fright, so Siegfried and Roy take him to the world's best therapist, Kelsey Grammer, who is voiced by actual Kelsey Grammer. The staunch Republican Kelsey Grammer that I found out about in my research, yes. Oh no, that's Tea party levels. Oh shit. Oh Jesus. Well, that's put a bad spin on um, The Simpsons for me. No more Sideshow Bob. Um... SNR talked to Kelsey Grammer. Apparently they sent him a weird Christmas gift. Did you get this? Nope. What? <laughs> Kelsey says, um, oh, I haven't seen you since you sent me that weird Christmas gift. Uh, and Roy says, oh, yeah, the small negligee with world's greatest grandma on it. He then says, that was meant for Stevie Nicks. <laughs> <laughs> Decent line. Which is funny. Uh, so uh, essentially Siegfried and Roy think that because Kelsey played Frasier, then he can, he, he is a therapist basically. Uh, and for some reason, Kelsey goes along with it. He starts talking to Larry, but Roy jumps in and starts talking about his father. (laughs) Do you know what the, um, you know, did you hear the problem that Roy had with his dad? Um, (laughs) I'm going to let you down again, I think. That's okay. He says that um, Roy took him. Roy's dad took him to the Sound of Music and made him root against the Von Trapps. <laughs> so is Roy's dad a Nazi? Hail <laughs> <I'll> honey. 
<laughs> so while this is happening, Larry gets talking to Kelsey's cat, who acts as a therapist. This uh, this cat is voiced by Dave Foley, who is, is the is voice. The, is the cat Mr. Wright from the earlier episode? <laughs> I think it's a different cat. Oh. Uh, he's voiced by Dave Foley, who does the voice of the main character Flick in A Bug's Life. Ah, yeah. far more uh, wholesome. <laughs> yeah, far more wholesome. Uh, Larry says he keeps having a dream where he goes on stage and loses control of his bodily functions. Larry then recounts the story of how he got the job as the lead lion, which I think is some of the clips from the original unaired pilot. Uh, this is now in flashback. Uh, Larry is talking with Sarmoti, who I swear is voiced by a different actor. He sounds really <laughs> different. Not something I've picked up on. Okay. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, we then cut to a routine that Siegfried and Roy are doing. Dick, Dick Cheney is there again <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, uh, Cheney's Ch- a big player in this episode. Yeah, he really is. Uh, Dick Cheney is clapping for Sarmoti and spills his drink all over a document called How to End Poverty. <laughs> One of the best gags of the show. <laughs> really good gag. Uh, Sarmoti is trying to big himself up to Larry so he jumps out of place and his wig gets knocked onto Dick Cheney's head Uh, Sarmoti jumps onto the table which causes the VP to faint uh, which is where he ends up losing his job Uh, the cat doesn't care by the way the cat's trying to get Larry to talk about his sex life yeah and the cat also offers some pate as the flashbacks continue (laughs) the cat says uh, that he gets on with his lady seven times a day that poor woman (laughs) Seven times a day for nine lives. My father ignoring me. My father ignoring me. Most deaf in a rap battle with Eminem. My father ignoring me. Kelsey Grammer is doing a Rorschach test with Roy and all the pictures are his father ignoring him. (laughs) Which is great. Uh, We then get back to the flashback. Uh, Siegfried and Roy argue where the act went wrong. Siegfried tries to make himself disappear. He can't do it. Uh, they take Sarmoti out of the show. Sierra's watching a DVD of The Lion King. We know it's The Lion King because there's a picture of a lion with a crown on the front of it. Uh, <laughs> they clearly couldn't get the rights to use the actual name of the movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, Disney, I don't think Disney DreamWorks crossovers are that common. Shockingly. No, I think they're probably each other's biggest rivals. So yes. you can see why they didn't let that happen. Larry and Kate have an argument about letting Sarmoti move in with them. Uh, Larry hatches a plan to get Samoti his job back. We can see that Roy is meditating in a weird vacuum thing. (laughs) (laughs) What was this? (laughs) I have no idea. Uh, I think it's just some sort of... I've got it down as some kind of oxygen mask. Yeah, it's like a big sort of diver's helmet that goes over his head and, like, takes the oxygen away or gives him oxygen. I have absolutely no idea. Uh, But anyway... Larry sends Snack in to subliminally plant the message in Roy's brain, uh, but Roy gets confused and ends up saying he's going to call his dad and tell him he forgives him. Uh, then Roy wakes up, they have a fight with Snack. Uh, Roy ends up being suffocated by the machine. Larry pulls the helmet off, saving his life, and to thank him, they make him the star of the show. Roy then says he's so happy he's sad, and Siegfried says he'll cheer him up by making him a beer cabbage. <laughs> what the fuck? We're back to cabbaging here. What's this? <laughs> I will make you a beer cabbage and then I will put it in someone's bag and they shall find it in third period English. <laughs> we get back to the uh, present day. Kelsey Grammer does a bit of role playing by pretending to be Roy's dad. He does a terrible German accent and Roy attacks him. <laughs> yeah, he decides to mention Strudel as well. Lovely, well, lovely stuff. Second, this is two TV episodes in a row we've done where there's been some horrible German stereotyping. Can we get the hat trick? <laughs> I don't know what with. 
Uh, Samoti thinks he's nailed the show. He calls Sammy, Sammy Davis Jr. an amazing one-eyed midget. <laughs> so much sensitivity. Strudel to <laughs> Sammy Davis. So much sensitivity. Strudels and Sammy Davis. The, the father of the pride story. Uh, Larry breaks the news to Samoti that he's out of the show. Uh, Larry starts singing to him for some reason. <laughs> Don't know why. Uh, Samoti is surprisingly nice to him about the whole thing, which wraps the plot up for no I don't know what happens here uh, the cat then sort of talks out with Larry saying he feels guilty for taking his father-in-law's job but he's secretly pleased about it the cat tells Larry to accept accept himself before leaving to get freaky with Mrs. Cat uh, Roy says he feels better not about his father but in the knowledge that he can t- he can beat up Kelsey Grammer Larry finally admits his love of the spotlight goes on stage and then because of the dodgy pate shits himself <laughs> I love that the pate came back in. <laughs> in more ways than one. Hey, he came back uh, out. And then the, the episode ends with Siegfried and Roy posing. What the They fuck? literally just do jazz hands at the end of the episode. Yep. That's it. Oh, my God. Oh, that episode's so boring. It wasn't the worst. It's probably third best. It's the least in interesting. Of... Yeah, the plot is rubbish, but I think the, the gags with Roy and, and Kelsey Grammer I thought were quite funny the jokes about his father. Um, but yeah, the, I, because of the, the confusing episode order, I have no idea what point this episode was meant to serve. Like, cause it could have worked as a pilot. I think like it was certainly need... slower pace than bloody Somoti moves in. <laughs> yeah. There's only two plot lines going on in this one and they both, they both get some decent time. But yeah, that is five episodes of Father of the Pride. Um, I don't know what to say, Nathan. Um, it is. It's so mid-table in the bad things hmm. canon. I think there's um, enough. There's enough good to sort of bump it above a lot of stuff. Yeah, but... L- like it's not going to be in either of the awards, either the <laughs> Ultimate Bollocks Award or the Bad Things Is Not Bad Award. Um, Kind of shocked it didn't get picked up for a second series. You think so? It's like not too terrible. And if they'd if they'd got carried on with Siegfried and Roy, I think they would have been on to a winner. So I want I want a second season of Siegfried and Roy. Yeah. If they'd improved the graphics as well, I just think it just looks so boring. Mm. Yeah, everything's very blocky and sort of geometric. Mm. Um it's not very appealing to look at. I think as well, like a lot of people just became oversaturated with it because yeah. it was marketed so much. Like this mm. was plugged to shit, and and now you can't like, find it anywhere. Yeah, the irony being that yeah, it's vanished off the face of the earth, and it costs so much money as well. Like it would have had to have drawn like mega ratings to justify getting a second season. And at this point, I still think animation was seen as a kids' thing. I yeah. don't think adults would have seen this and gone, oh, this is for me. Like, the marketing was very confusing. It looked very child-friendly, but it was very much not child-friendly. <laughs> adults weren't going to watch it. Kids weren't going to watch it. I think, it, yeah, it just, it, it was, it wasn't good enough. And it wasn't what people wanted as well. So I'm not surprised this died to death. It's just like meh, isn't it? Like... <laughs> mm, it's very meh. This is a meh thing. Yeah. Unfortunately. So mid tape, the Burnley of bad. <laughs> oh, excellent. 
Well, what happened next, Nathan? Uh, well, nothing happened next, because as we said, this got cancelled after one season. Uh, it fell into a massive decline, despite some pretty decent um, reception originally in terms of ratings. Like, this this did well, uh, but the coverage was routinely interrupted uh, by NBC's coverage of the 2004 presidential election. <laughs> by which... the actual Dick Cheney. <laughs> Damn you, Cheney. Uh, there was also a protest from the Parents' Television Council. Yeah, but they... Pro- it, that, if there's a vague sex scene they can play, God, I can't <laughs> stand those guys. Yeah, it was not... Uh, FCC cleared it of any wrongdoing in that protest. Like they do with all the complaints. <laughs> yeah, critics uh, didn't like it either. They said it was very gimmicky and they put it down to being a shill for a lot of other things. You had the donkey thing... Uh, they just sort of saw that as a big shill for Shrek. But you know who did like the show, Nathan? The boys! <laughs> yes. Siegfried and Roy. They loved it. They yeah. said, uh, this according to Katzenberg, they laughed a lot. They kept asking us to create more contradiction. Literally, one's blonde and one's dark, and every aspect of their life is as black and white as that. One's They're all... dark? <laughs> They are always playful with one another, always playing tricks on each other. They encourage us to have fun with that. So at least somebody liked it. I need to watch some Siegfried and Roy interviews because I'd love to know their dynamic in real mm. life. Yeah, no, me too, actually. Um, and this show has won an award. I don't know if you knew that. Is it a Golden Raspberry? <laughs> it was, and this is going to really piss you off. It won an Annie Award, which is the sort of animation awards, for best character design in an animated television production. Yeah, for Donkey. <laughs> I'm actually going to Who look was it up. for? Was um, it just, well, it was just for everyone? Right, okay. Event, yeah. uh, I'm actually going to look up what it was running against. Because uh, I'd love to know what the... Uh... Okay, the list on Wikipedia does not list this as <laughs> a category. Um, it was so the I... only candidate. <laughs> <laughs> like me in year eight shot put. It was the only <laughs> candidate, so it won. Like me, who was going to get cabbaged at school. <laughs> yeah, the show was not picked up for a second season, and I think Katzenberg sort of knew this. He gave an interview midway through the run where he said he didn't think it was going to get picked up for a second season. And unfortunately, that was it. The show died a death, and now, as we mentioned, it has fallen off the face of the earth, despite being a pretty monumental piece of animation history, mm. because... You know, I'm not going to say it was a pioneer or anything, uh, but it, it definitely, you know, it sort of piqued the interest of a lot of people and, and opened the discussion for animated TV shows. And you think about the ones we mentioned at the top of the episode, Bojack Horseman, Rick and Morty, Bob's Burgers, you know, those are all big hits. So this definitely has its place in history. Unfortunately, it does also have its place in bad things because I'm quite glad that we got to review this. And it is nearly out of stock on Amazon if you are <laughs> desperate to buy the DVD. Yeah, because they ain't making any more. <laughs> Let me tell you that. Uh, are you aware, Nathan, of the petition? No. What's the petition? Well, let me just load it up now. This is a change.org petition. Let me read it to is you. Is that your homepage? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, just giving. Give me a chance. Uh, this is a petition by a lady called Susan G. And this petition is to Jeffrey Katzenberg, CEO of DreamWorks Animation. It is called 
bring back Father of the Pride <laughs> with new episodes. Have you tried to contact Susan G yet? <laughs> Not yet. There's a, uh, the description of the petition is, people should sign this petition because everyone misses Father of the Pride. <laughs> The reason why I started this is because I missed the show so much. I thought I should create this petition and get people to sign it. So maybe DreamWorks will consider it and bring Father of the Pride back. And uh, this is how, like, Susan G is still going on this petition because there is an update. Following Carl Reiner's death, please ask them to use pre-recorded material of his voice to fit episode storylines. This episode is being updated this year. (laughs) This person... (laughs) How many Is people it? have signed it? <laughs> so she's aiming for a hundred signatures. A hundred? Well, uh, that's not going to go to Congress, <laughs> is it? Eighty-six people have signed oh, it. Oh, she's just nearly reached the target. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we should share this on our Facebook page and try and get Susan up to a hundred signatures. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Susan G, we stand with you. Oh dear! And I, I'm sure Je- Jeff Katzenberg, who deals in six or seven figure sums, will be really <laughs> impressed by a three figure turnout. Uh, so a bit of good news there to end to end things on. Bless her heart. Well, that was Father of the Pride. Um, it was totally bizarre. It wasn't what I expected it to be. I'm going to say I did expect it to be bad, but in a very different way. Um, but I would still class it as a bad thing, Nathan. I don't know about you. Uh, it's just a bad thing. Yeah, just. Mm. I think there's so much. That first episode and the fucking panda episode <laughs> was so bad. What was with the first episode? <laughs> I don't think I can convey how rubbish the pacing was. I think it needs to be seen to be believed. And that second episode was so bad. <laughs> I hated it. And, you know, Siegfried and Roy had their moments, loved the plot in the first episode, loved the uh, Grandma Wilson stuff up until the fact that Siegfried fucked her. Um, But unfortunately, it wasn't strong enough for me. Um, So that is my final word on the matter, that Father of the Pride is unfortunately a bad thing. Nathan, that brings us to a close on this mammoth recording session that we've done. Maybe five episodes was a little too much, but there were so many bonkers episode descriptions, I had to watch them all. Uh, so sorry for putting you through that on your day off. I hope you didn't mind too much. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it's all good. It, it kept me kept me going, especially uh, what's black and white and depressed all over. Ridiculous episode. Horrible, horrible, horrible. So uh, we, yeah, that's it. Thank you so much to everyone who has listened. Thank you so much to everyone who voted in this poll. That poll is available on our Facebook page, uh, which is Bad Things the Podcast on Facebook. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Bad Things Pod. And speaking of polls, Nathan, uh, we <laughs> we have a winner in our episode eleven poll. And Nathan, as always, it's going to be a music poll and the alternative months. So I'm going to hand over to you to let the people know what we're going to be reviewing next time. Well, it's going to be a thoroughly miserable November. (laughs) Um, Yes, it is. uh, We're going back to the X Factor, maybe for the final time. (laughs) Why did you put this as as an option if you were sick of the X Factor? (laughs) Because I want to see what happens here. Uh, We are going to be looking at uh, the career 
of one Owen Quigg. We were due to cover him in our Louis Boys episode, but then we realised we were being uh, xenophobic. He might be Irish, but he was actually a Simon Cowboy. He was. So we'll be charting his X Factor journey and then taking a look at his horrendous, I can't stress this enough, horrendously reviewed <laughs> uh, debut studio album. Um, and that will be your November bad thing. Uh, I don't know when Man of the Woods by Justin Timberlake will be appearing again. Actually, it might appear on the next one because it did come second again. <laughs> so um, it might were, be an option again. You were crushed by that. I was totally crushed, but it might win next time. You never know. Well, as we like to say on bad things, as one poll closes, another poll opens. And I don't know if this has been, uh, you know, made apparent to you guys, but Christmas is coming up soon, isn't it? No, uh, it's who... not. <laughs> it doesn't exist this year. Who knows what that's going to look like? But we're going to try and celebrate the festive season with a Christmas special for our December episode. God, how, we, how the hell have we made it to December? How are we thinking about <laughs> December now? And for this, we thought we'd do something a little special because uh, it is due to be a film month or a TV month, but I didn't want to ruin the chance for Nathan to put forward some of his terrible Christmas albums that he's had uh, saved up for this year. Look at me go. Uh, I am the Emerson the Lobster of this podcast. So we're going to split the vote. There is going to be two options for you to vote for musically, and there are going to be two options for you to vote for visually. Uh, Nathan, would you like to go first in talking about what the Bad Things Universe might be hearing us review? for our Christmas episode. Yes, uh, the first option I'm going to be selling to death, Jacob. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. um, in 2012, John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John reunited to record an album called This Christmas. Oh dear. Uh, featuring Christmas standards and also uh, I think what was an original song, which I would say the music video is probably in my bottom three music videos Oof. ever. Um, and to be fair, this album doesn't actually have totally horrendous reviews, but I just refuse to believe that this is going to be any good. Have you heard so, it then? Uh, I have heard the uh, the what I think is an original track. I need to just uh, just check that that is actually the case. Okay. So no, I haven't heard this <laughs> in full, but I okay. just can't see how this is going to be good. Um, so that is my first entry. My second entry. Uh, there's not really a lot to say on this one. It's called Shatner Claws. <laughs> and it is William Shatner recording an album of Christmas standards with friends. So if that's oh. more your bag, if you're a Trekkie, then vote for Shatner Claws. Oh, my God. Um, this, I think that's got my vote. <laughs> that, sounds, <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> wow. OK, so those are your two music options for Christmas. Uh, we're going to talk about my film options now. The first one is a film I have seen bits of but not all of I didn't quite realise it was this badly reviewed uh, it is from 1998 it stars Michael Keaton as uh, playing the title character he is a man killed in a car accident before returning to life as a snowman this is <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this is 1998's Jack Frost uh, and it was a massive box office bomb and received absolutely horrific reviews so we'll oh. get into that it also features three of Frank Zappa's children oh okay Dweezil yeah. and Moon and and Armet is the other and Armet's the other yeah. yeah there we go and the final thing that you're going to vote for on our December poll is and this looks mental this is something called Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas which Wikipedia describes as a faith-based Christmas comedy 
Uh, it is apparently an attempt by director Kurt Cameron to put the Christ back into Christmas uh, <laughs> as he attempts to combine religious educational elements with a Christmas comedy movie. And this film received the coveted 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. This looks oh, oh. mental. I I'm in for all four of these options. <laughs> this is juicy, like whatever gets picked here. Don't say that we don't spoil you here on the Bad Things podcast. Well, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. We need to uh, get back with our lives because this recording has taken so long. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. I've uh, never had lunch bef- oh, after no. 2.32. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Nathan. Uh, we're getting you off to your pre-baked baguettes. Uh, I'm going to go have a croissant. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time for Owen, not Yoggen, Owen Quigg's X Factor journey and subsequent solo career. But for now, it's goodbye from Nathan. Farewell, bad people. It's goodbye from me. Thank you so much for listening to all ten of these episodes. I'll say it once again, ten episodes. How did we do it? And we'll see you for episode 11 next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.